VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. It's Friday, July the 14th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly. David Williams, he's producing this command with an edition of the program. So if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue and on the air, 709-273-5211. Elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. Well, of all things, I'm really looking forward to having a swim in the pond this weekend. That's been on my mind. It's been a little bit cool leading up to the opportunities where I had to go for a splash and a little swim in the pond, but I think that's coming up. And on that front, coming up very shortly now are the World Aquatic Games in Fukuoka, Japan. Not only uh, open water swimming, but artistic swimming, uh, water polo, diving, high diving. And, of course, we really do well in the pool here. So there's 75 world titles up for grabs. We've got 28 pool swimmers. They begin racing on the 23rd. Last year at the World Aquatic Games, we won 11 medals in the pool, the most we've ever won. So just keeping a look at some of the people who we always watch to see how they perform on the world stage. One swimmer we will not see is the most decorated Olympian of all time in this country. is Penny Oleksiak. She's got an injury, so that's too bad. I wonder, will it be the summer of summer? Summer McIntosh. She made a big splash in Tokyo at the Games in 2020, 14 years of age. Youngest member of Team Canada. She, won a, she placed fourth in the 400 freestyle. Then, of course, moving on and getting older, getting stronger. At her first Senior World Aquatic Games in Budapest last year, won gold in the 200-meter butterfly and the 400-meter individual medley. Youngest world champion swimmer in more than a decade. And, of course, in the most recent Canada Swimming Trials, Broke two world records. Simply extraordinary stuff. World record holder in the 400-meter freestyle and also the uh, world record holder in the 400-meter individual medley. So veterans in the pool, Maggie McNeil, of course, world champion, Olympic gold medalist. Then you've got Kyle Mass, not swimming that great lately these days, but always a threat in the backstroke. Then a guy named Josh Liendo. Swimming in the NCAAs at the University of Florida, he won a U an NCAA title in the 100-meter free, silver in the 50 free, so in good shape. He's got three NCAA relay records to his name, so we'll see how we do in the pool. All right, and for tennis fans, one of the greatest weekends on the calendar, the championships Wimbledon. Will it be Tunisia's Angebor's year? Second straight a Wimbledon final for her. And will we get the highly anticipated matchup on the gentleman's side with Alcaraz and Djokovic? We'll see. And Brian Mador outed me on the newscast for sporting my Blue Jays jersey here today. Jays kick off the second half against Arizona. They just have way too good a team to not qualify for the playoffs. So we'll see if they can turn it on. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes when it rains, it pours. This poor couple who have originally from here, living in Truro, Nova Scotia, made their way to the province for a trip, camping at Terranova National Park, lost their power at the Newman Campgrounds, then all, you know, it's just so bad for these people. Then the tickets they had for Come From Away, of no value. Three performances have been canceled this week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So they're going to try to accommodate people who traveled in, whether it be with weekend tickets for that was generally held for their creative teams. For those who live in the province, they're talking about adding shows at the end of the 37 performance run. But imagine you come all this way. You lose your power, and the tickets for a come from way gone by the wayside. So apparently there's an illness cir uh, circulating amongst the cast and crew. No real indication exactly what that sickness might be, and I suppose that's kind of besides the fact, but... That's a real downer for folks who had tickets to see that terrific 
Broadway musical on stage in Gander at the Arts and Culture Center. And I think we're anticipating a call from the organizer of, or organizers of the Stephenville Theater Festival. They open up this weekend with the musical Rock of Ages, 45 years strong for the Stephenville Theater Festival. Okay, let's keep going. So, look, we had a call yesterday, a poor fellow who has been living in his apartment for some 18 years being evicted. And he's going through a process to see if he can get a court injunction. We've been talking about the low vacancy rate in this area. We've been talking about just how expo extraordinarily expensive it is to rent. And now with the announcement of the Bank of Canada's jacking up for the 10th consecutive time their benchmark interest rate to 5. So the implication on the mortgage holders is very, very real. Some of the impact is just truly amazing. You know, you may have got into a variable rate mortgage at around 275 there a year or two ago. Now, when people go to renew, they're going to get sticker shock. There's some 6 million mortgages held in the country. About 1.2 million mortgages are renewed each and every year. So I would imagine it's with great trepidation that people are going in to visit with their mortgage holders and or the banks to talk about what their mortgage payment is going to look like now. It's going to be huge. But in the world of rent, you know full well that any additional cost will be passed along to the renter. So what was already a massive problem in the world of housing in this country, whether it be people who want to own homes and do own homes and renewing their mortgage, people who are clamoring to find an affordable house to live in, people who are renting and seeing their costs skyrocket, it's going to have a ripple effect across the board. I don't know, it's been really on my mind. My mortgage is coming up soon enough, so I'm really not looking forward to that visit to the bank. But you just wonder where the pain has to stop. I, I, you know, I know that they have only one real lever they can pull at the Bank of Canada to try to talk and deal with inflation, but this just seems like pain on purpose. Anyway, you want to take it on, regardless of the angle, let's do exactly that. All right. Generally, when the Council of the Federation meets, that's the country's premiers, they get together, and it's always the hot-button topics, trade infrastructure, justice reform, health care, housing, all the rest. This wave of meetings really felt like it was about process. Not any real progress. They just talk about more meetings. Okay, but some of the key areas that are of concern to people in this province. Number one is clean fuel regulation. So the Atlantic premiers are asking for a face-to-face -face with the Deputy Prime Minister, the Minister of Finance, Christian Freeland, and rightfully so. For our six members of Parliament, Liberal members of Parliament, including two Cabinet Ministers, it's easy enough for them to talk about carbon tax because they can roll in the conversation that includes the carbon tax rebate. Okay, because that does ease some of the pain. All right. Clean fuel regulations, not so much. We really need to hear from our members here because it's not fighting against the party. It's not blowing up caucus. It's talking about what's important to your constituents. If it, the reality is that people in this province will pay three times more in the clean fuel regulations than elsewhere in the country, it's patently unfair. How can anybody who's been elected as a member of parliament from this province think that that's okay? So we hope, I don't know if it'll ever happen, but we would certainly like to hear what the outcome of a meeting between the four Atlantic Canadian premiers and Christopher Freeland. Then they talk about housing and public infrastructure, looking for a face-to-face -face with the Prime Minister. It's probably a pretty good idea that Prime Ministers spend one day at the Council of the Federation meetings for this face-to-face, tête-à-tête opportunity. The Prime Minister's office immediately shuffled it off to Minister Dominic LeBlanc. So doesn't look like that's going to happen. So in the clean fuel reg oh, I'll backtrack a little. In the clean fuel regulations, once again, can we, if any of the six members or part of their team or their staff are listening this morning, please make yourself available, especially if we're talking either Minister O'Regan or Minister Hutchins. 
where are we and what's the voice, what's the concern, what's the, t- the status of discussion surrounding marine Atlantic and clean fuel regulations? It's already problematic, whether it be for visitors who want to make their way to this province and or people from this province uh, wanting to travel via marine Atlantic. You know, it's one thing to see a stall in the fuel surcharge until sometime in December, but again, this is so critically important, and it doesn't come home to roost until you go to book passage on Marine Atlantic, but on those two, let's talk about it. One thing inside of criminal justice, and of course, you know, it used to be a fairly sleepy province when we talked about gun violence. Now in certain pockets, certainly here in the city of St. John's, gunshots overnight becoming more regular than not. So they're talking about criminal justice reform and changes to the criminal code, whether it be to stop conditional sentences for individuals convicted of sexual assault. Absolutely. Also talking about bail reform or those accused of violent crimes. It didn't pass before the summer recess, which is a collective disappointment for the country's premiers. Then a crackdown on gangs and gun violence. Focus on the border. And I'm going to put it out there again. It's the issue regarding the homemade gun, the ghost gun, untraceable and becoming quite popular amongst the criminal elements. So those are some of the things from the Council of the Federation. You want to take it on? Let's go. Yesterday, we spoke to the official critic in the Health Community Services portfolio, that's Paul Din, followed up by a conversation with the Minister of the Health and Community Services, Tom Osborne, about the Towards Recovery Report. We're going to talk about it again today. Massive issue. So, look, I think it's undoubtedly reasonable for government to say there's been improvements over the past five years. Okay. Towards Recovery was first tabled in June of 2017, 54 recommendations. But the report, there is a sense of some self-congratulatory approach. And okay, if improvements are made, and I think they have been, and the, uh, the minister says there is work yet to be done, but it's really hard inside of this document to find the real nuts and bolts. I don't know exactly how you measure outcomes in the world of mental health, but we do know, and the minister admits, that work to be done on long-term access is absolutely still on the table, and work continues, and rightfully so. But there's no real data to latch onto to help measure progress, to help measure positive outcomes. Because, you know, even if we talk about virtual care, and virtual care is here to stay, and it works for a lot of people. If you are someone here in the province who is availed of any of the virtual services, and the uptick in the usage of the Provincial Lifelines Warm Line is up over 250% since 2016-17, now, how do we understand if this is a great news story because the increase in usage, or does it scream that more and more people are in need in the province? And is virtual care for them their only viable option, given some of the wait lists and what have you? And interestingly, and maybe, the anyway, Dave's working on something here. Inside of this report, when we talk about the upcoming pilot project for registered psychiatric nurses, we know about the wait times and the lack of full-time psychiatrists in certain parts of the province. Psychologists are not even mentioned. How can that be? I mean, we've been talking with Dr. Janine Hubbard, for instance, on very specific issues and then general issues regarding the professional psychology, some of the real problems that we have here in the province with the lack of people being able to be mentored upon graduation. It goes on and on and on. And, of course, they would be a critical piece of the puzzle. But yet, no real discussion surrounding the role of psychologists, the recruitment and retention of psychologists inside the world of mental health care. So, regardless, if you are an individual who has been in the system, 
trying to get in the system, has used virtual care, a family member, an advocate. If you want to take on this discussion, we really should, and hopefully you'll do that today. And in the world of healthcare, I guess there's a tour of the almost fully constructed new Cornerbrook Hospital. A couple of looming questions on the West Coast. There's no final determination that I can find as to whether or not that hospital is going to have a PET scanner. Remember when the discussion surrounding the construction began, it was about radiology and specifically whether or not they'd have a PET scanner. At, the, well, at this moment in time, the only one in the province is here in the city of St. John's at the Health Sciences Center. At that time, they were talking about some of the recommendations about the population and how many PET scanners are required. It's easy enough to use that formula, but that's no cold comfort for someone living on the West Coast. Then I guess there would be questions about the technologists required to operate this type of clinic. You know, that's some of the comments we heard initially is, well, we can put a scanner in there, but do we have the people who can operate it? Because we have a shortage across the world of technicians and technologists in healthcare, as well as doctors and nurses and LPNs and NPs and all the rest of it. So if you're on the West Coast and want to take it on, let's go. Also, speaking directly to folks who were enticed or intrigued by the $157 million announcement for the oil-to-electric incentive program. So moving off using oil heating to mini-splits, multi-splits, central heat, central heat pumps, electric boilers, electric furnaces. The best part of this for people who will avail of it is that you don't come up with the money up front. The installers will build, take charge directly. That's a real important shift. You can use some of the money for oil tank removal, upgrade your panel. But some of the problems I'm hearing for folks who are trying to figure out whether or not they're going to entertain this is just how few companies are actually working on these types of transitions, and whether it be the company themselves, access to, uh, to electricians, who of course play a critical role here. So there's some deadlines that have to be hit if you're going to be able to get these subsidies, and some of them are really quite generous, is if you've been trying to get in the queue and are being told, well, it'll be X number of months, and maybe, just maybe, as more and more people consider this, whether or not the deadlines can be hit, if you're in the churn, let us know. Also, we did speak with Minister Bernard Davis on this one about a fairly specific question, but I think it probably is relatable to many. If you just bought a new home, and you don't have oil bills that you paid in years past, or last year, because you didn't live in the home, but it used oil and will use oil this year, the minister says they'll work with these people. So that makes a lot of sense to me. But if you're in the churn once again and trying to find out whether or not you're even going to be able to get a company to take on the transition in your home, some of the deadlines or timelines that may have been con of a concern to you, we can talk about that. All right. How are we doing on the phone, Dave? Let's get her going. We're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Email address is openline at VOCM.com. When we come back, let's have a great show. That means you're in the queue and on the air. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Let's begin this morning on the top of the board, line number one. Good morning, Justin. You're on the air. Good morning, sir. How are you? Okay. You? Oh, not bad at all. Uh, first time calling in the show, Patty. Welcome. Um, thank you very much. Listen, calling this morning. Um, throughout the media now and uh, we're, we're listening to of course the elephant in the room in our province is around healthcare and lack of access um, recently our registered nurses and nurse practitioners for instance are going through a collective bargaining um, so some attention is being brought to that um, I think we're really missing the boat as uh, at a holistic level as to how we recruit our healthcare workers um, you know, there's a lot of disparities between permanent employees versus temporary employees, casual employees. 
our hospitals just can't fill the positions. And this, this extends, Patty, on to our schools and other government agencies. So, um, you know, we're looking at things that we're doing throughout the province. Uh, I think it's time to really get innovative on how we're doing things. First barrier, uh, you know, I look at personally, um, friends of my, myself and my own personal family is access to childcare, getting trained professionals into these roles. Um, you know, I think that might be where we're missing the boat. At any given uh, time, you walk on any unit in any hospital, and it, it's not just a metro issue. You know, it could be in the health science center or it could be on the West Coast, and units are understaffed. People can't get their summer holidays. People are made, uh, you know, going to work guilty when, when ill or not well. Um, not sure what the solution is, but um, we're losing our new grads. And this is happening in the spring of the year. Um, you look at Memorial University, we have people coming to from other jurisdictions. They're recruiting, they're hiring students, they're facing debt. We're losing them. Um, you know, we're doing great things with programs such as travel nurses, bringing in foreign uh, workers, which is wonderful because the need is there. We are losing our own, and if we can manage to get our own, uh, that's going to be sustainable people for the future. Let's take it one at a time. Yeah, let's break it down a little bit one at a time, because whether we talk about new grads or daycare or very specific healthcare disciplines, with the new grads, I think you're onto something. You know, we have heard from recent graduates at Munns Medical School to say that they were not in close contact and or approached or got anything beyond a generic email about opportunities that might be afforded to them upon graduation. And then for many of these disciplines, say for instance a family doctor, you have to leave and then choose to come back. If I had my druthers, I would like to know that everybody who's walking across the convocation stage graduating from any uh, any healthcare related school, from nursing to doctors to otherwise, is I want to know the level of contact that every one of those grads has had with the province. And that is not just in their graduating year. It's from the day that they are successful in getting a seat in any of these schools to talk about the future, to talk about where they can and should work, to talk about what we can do for them, to paint the picture as to why it's in everyone's best interest. They stay in the province that helps subsidize their education and talk about it constantly. I'd like to see a file on every single student sitting in any of those classes about the level of contact, the frequency of contact, and the likelihood they stay. If we don't get that right, we're going to be chasing our tail forever. Patty, you're spot on. And basically, my uh, synopsis is what you just said is transparency. So if we have transparency around, you know, that recruitment and hiring process, um, you know, if we're losing them because it's no competitive wages, okay, fair enough. But if we're losing because of lack of effort, then that, that's sad. And I, I don't think we're doing our citizens justice. Um, you know, if we were to pick, you know, two fields, for instance, um, you look at healthcare. We have healthcare professionals um, who have been given bursaries for exchange of service. Um, many of these professionals, uh, let's pick registered nurses, for instance, uh, in some cases they've defaulted on their bursaries. So government basically said, here's X amount of thousands of dollars to commit to work with us um, to give you full-time work. Now, the need is definitely there for full-time work. However, the positions are not being offered up. So these folks then walk away with their bursaries. Um, you know, good for them. They signed an agreement, yet government has defaulted and, and this has happened as recent as this year and uh, no different than in the field of education where um you know i think in one district in western canada fort vermilion 
they come here in the spring of the year and they scoop up the most talented young professional teachers and they take them out west. They pay them good money. Um, you know, and then the little schools in rural Newfoundland can't fill their seats. So there's big issues, Patty, around transparency. If you were to speak to a lot of young graduates today with skills and options, you know, are they forced to stay here in our province? Absolutely not. You speak to some, and they may be turned off by some of the decisions being made. For instance, um, closures of certain healthcare facilities, closures of certain schools, when there's no real transparency, it goes right back to your point there about, you know, looking at their files of how they may have been recruited or approached during grad uh, grad time. So I just wanted to call in and uh, have a little dialogue around that because unless something innovative is done about it, uh, we're going to spin these tires for a very long time and we're currently spinning them very fast. Yeah, if it's about pay, like for instance, with the collective agreement that yet to be ratified by the Registered Nurses right. Union, you know, they talk about, well, it'll bring us in line for the most part with Atlantic Canada, but then in the exact same breath, we're told that in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, their registered nurses' unions are about to enter into collective bargaining, and be, as a consequence, very likely, our nurses will end up behind the rate of pay afforded to nurses in New Brunswick, Nova Scotia. Now, you're never going to be able to have 365 days a year on parity because different provinces working on different schedules. But, you know, even in the world of permanent versus casual, which is another point I think you made, you yeah. know, when the province says, okay, in the registered nurses' world, Pretty significant financial incentives have been dangled in front of those on the casual list to join the ranks of po uh, permanent full-time, but because they see their colleagues working as permanent full-time nurses with so little control of their schedules and their life and that so-called work-life balance, they're not interested. So I don't know what we do. I, I honestly God don't know what we do. You know, um, you know although money's always a driver of, of performance and of, uh, you know, recruitment, I don't think this is a money issue. There's money there. You know, salaries are, uh, if I'm part of Atlantic Canada, will be competitive. It's more about, you know, can you get a day off to take your child to their ballet recital when you want to do that? Can you um, attend an appointment uh, that you have booked six months down the road with peace of mind that your colleagues aren't working shorthanded and overstressed? That's where we're at, Patty. Um, and I think we need to be innovative, you know. So if you look at a a 30-year-old mother of two who um, is a registered nurse, for instance, or and, and we're, we keep coming back to health care because I can think this at the forefront. Um, how do we get them into a position where they can also have their children cared for at the same time? That's the conundrum that's hard to address. And, and maybe it comes down to looking at the hierarchy and ease with our government, you know, um, our physiological and health needs come well above anything else. And Although we're doing some wonderful stuff, pushing resources into childcare facilities, um, can we do something boots on the ground in our large hospitals and in, in our centers where um, a mother can come and work her shift and her children also attend the childcare facility? And I know we're kind of going after rails here, but if, if we don't get innovative in our solutions, uh, our problems will continue. I appreciate you making time for the show this morning, Justin. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Have a good one. You too, buddy. All the best. Bye-bye. And in the world of daycare, remains to be seen, you know, the work that the province has done to uh, increase the rate of pay for early childhood educators and to increase the number of seats in the training schools, if that's going to get us where we need to be. Because remember, in that world of daycare, we only have uh, enough regulated childcare spaces for 14% of the children in the province. I mean, that's really quite something. 75% of children in the province live in what they call a daycare desert. Strange stuff.
Anyway, solutions also part of the conversation. If you want to bring some forward, propose solutions, let's do that. Let's go to line number two. We mentioned off the top of the show, going into their 45th year, are the folks at the Steenville Theatre Festival kicking it off with Rock of Ages. That opens this weekend. Join us on line number one is Ben Pittman. He's the GM of said festival. Good morning, Ben. You're on the air. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here, Patty. So, listen, congratulations. That's a ripe old run, 45 years, for a festival such as Stephenville's. Oh, yes, yeah, 45 years. <laughs> We're <How>? middle-aged. <laughs> How long have you been there yourself? Oh, well, I was here as a performer back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and uh, I came back two years ago as the GM, and it's been wonderful to be back in this capacity and helping bring the standard high-caliber theater to Bay St. George. Bring us back to your performing days. Uh, what were you, What kind of musicals or performances were you involved with? Oh, in my early days, I was in the, everything from the Elvis show to uh, to Greece. <laughs> I did everything there was to do. I did some one-man shows. I started directing and writing here, and uh, Stephenville Theatre Festival is a great spot for young talent. They get their start and then come back as a professional. It's, uh, it's a wonderful place for, for all of our performers and our designers and our crew. Yeah. We listen, we, again, I say this all the time, we punch way above our weight in this province and the things like the arts, all disciplines in the arts. But just out of curiosity, what role did you have in Greece? I was Kanicki. <laughs> you were Kanicki? Yeah, yeah, I was standing on top of the the car singing uh, Grease Lightning, yeah. <laughs> it, it's one of the greatest scenes in the movie and oh, yeah. one of the greatest lines in the movie as well is, uh, Hickey from Kanicki is like a Hallmark card. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of classics. <laughs> Pretty yeah. great stuff. Okay, let's fast forward to the 45th edition of the festival. What can yes. people expect? Well, like you just pointed out, we're opening tonight with our big uh, Broadway's greatest musical party, Rock of Ages. It's a wonderful, wonderful show. It's an explosive combination of rock and roll and hilarious comedy. And that's opening tonight and running all summer. And uh, on Sunday, we have our children's show. Well, it's actually for the whole family. It's called Balloonacy. And that is a wonderful, touching story. It's about a, a, a young man who has a particularly uh, interesting relationship with a balloon. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's in the style of Charlie Chaplin with a lot of physical acting. And I think everybody's going to love that. It's a pretty unique piece. And then on Tuesday, on the 18th, we have our dinner theater coming back the great canadian songbook challenge and uh, this has classics from all across canadian music people really love it it's, i think it's, it's something there for everybody and this year we're bringing back the game show element so each table at the dinner theater will compete with the other ones to see who has the greatest knowledge of musical trivia so that went over really well last year and we're bringing it back and then on uh, next Friday, we have uh, a musical murder mystery called Lucky Stiff. It's another wonderful musical. It's a farce. And uh, uh, this is like just zany characters and a really amazing musical score. I think people will love this. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, throughout the summer, we also have our, our Evening With series, which focuses on local talent. And we have Truth Be Told, which is a night of recitations and music. We have Rob Lowe's Rock, a local uh, traditional band who are becoming quite popular. They're going to be playing on the 30th. And uh, in August, we have our uh, Newfoundland Kitchen Parties. And that's a wonderful uh, two-night event with all, all kinds of local talent, from accordion players, fiddle players, uh, amazing local musicians. And then at the closing of the season on August 13th, we have our gala. And this year we're combining our young company, which are kids from the community that we, we uh, that 
that uh, come in, they do shows for us, and we're going to combine them with a professional company on the last night of the season. So they're both in a one show together. So it's a really great way to cap off the 45th anniversary season. And then in the fall, in November, we're going to tour an original play by Megan Greeley called To the Girls Across the Province. Megan's terrific, really sharp, really clever, terrific writer. Oh, yeah. Uh, inside of Rock of Ages, where do you get the performers? Are they all locals, or do you have some professionals from up along, or how does the casting work? Oh, it's a mix. Like, our company is uh, pretty pretty national in flavor. You know, we have a lot of locals. we got people from all over Newfoundland, got, and uh, as well as people from all across Canada. I mean, Rock of Ages was a runaway hit on Broadway. I can, certainly over 2,000 performances of Rock of Ages, which I've seen. And interestingly, Def Leppard's song of the same name is not in it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that goes, right? Juten, Gluten, Glauten, Globen. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> odd that that would not be featured inside this, but it's yeah. great music. And when people refer to anything as a jukebox musical, you know it's some fun in store. Oh, yeah, there's some classic hits. I think people will be uh, getting flashbacks to their teen years. <laughs> no doubt they will. This is great to have you on the show. Ben, anything else you want to tell us about the festival or what people need to do if they'd like to be involved? Well, you know, we're performing um, all but one of our shows at the Arts and Culture Center in Stephenville. You can call for bo- the box office there at 709-643-4553. And our dinner theater is at the Days Inn, which is 643-6666. And you can find all of our information on our website at stephenvilletheaterfestival.com. And on our Facebook page, where uh, we have lots of uh, really cool surprises there for people, too. Appreciate the time. Uh, break a leg. All right. Thanks a lot, Patty. You're welcome, Ben. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Ben Pittman is the GM of the Stephenville Theater Festival. 45 years running. All right. So great theater all around the province in the summertime, isn't there? You know, Perchance and Shakespeare by the Sea and on and on it goes. And if you want to promote something going on in your neck of the woods, you're welcome to do it on the show. Let's take a break. Do not go away. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. Welcome back to the show. I, I always set myself up for disaster when you say, like I said, there's lots of great theater. And immediately, the couple I didn't mention, whether it be out in Cowhead or, yes, absolutely in Trinity, there's a lot of it. So I didn't mean to omit anybody. <laughs> Let's keep going. Let's go to line number three. He's taking more to the Liberal Member of Parliament, elected in and serving the folks of Avalon. That's Ken McDonald. Ken, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. How about you? Good, good. And uh, couldn't help uh, be reminded when you had your last uh, guest on from the Stephenville Festival, uh, the Perchance Theatre opening is, I believe, tomorrow in uh, Conception Harbour, and I'm going to be there for that, uh, that episode as well. So looking forward to it. Absolutely. Now, I uh, was pulled in my parking lot uh, when you were giving your opening remarks, Patty, and one of your remarks was you'd like for a federal liberal MP to call in to talk to you. You were looking for someone to uh, talk about the clean fuel strategy or the uh, price on pollution. Absolutely. So, I mean, we know that you did stray from the not a whipped vote, but from the party line or the party vote. On this front, very quickly before we get, dig into that a little further, Ken, is it confirmed that you are not going to run in the next election? No, it's still my intent to run in the next election. Okay, so give us an idea how the conversation sounds inside a caucus meeting 
when if it's patently clear if the parliamentary budget office is right in that on clean fuel regulations people in this province may indeed be paying three times more than other parts of the country it's hard for me to believe that anybody sitting regardless if you're an mp from british columbia or from this province is sound that or to say that that's fair what's the conversation sound like in the caucus room uh, in the caucus room at times it's uh, it gets hot and heavy from one side to another and uh, you know there's a, a lot of people who are die hard that this has to be done there are some a little softer on it than this and uh, and then there's me who really feels that something should be done to help offset that disproportionate impact in Atlantic Canada and I think if I'm correct uh, that's exactly what the four Atlantic premiers are asking for. They're asking for Minister Gilbeau to come up with a disproportionate offset for Atlantic Canada because we are disproportionately impacted by the clean fuel strategy. And if that means the minister should once again sit down with the four Atlantic premiers and develop a strategy that's tailored to Atlantic Canada that implements offsets that will help soften the blow here in Atlantic Canada. Because if not, it will be the individuals, the individual homeowners, the individual residents of Newfoundland and Labrador, and indeed all of Atlantic Canada that will feel the brunt of this. So what's the status of uh, any progress to create these offsets? Uh, I, up to this date, I, I haven't seen any progress to, uh, to do that. Uh, I think the minister did, like I say, he did meet with four Atlantic premiers. Uh, I think they they parted ways and agreeing to disagree at this point. Okay. Importantly on that front, now let's hope that something happens here because we cannot have that disparity from coast to coast to coast regarding clean fuel regulations because if they're coming, they're coming. It used yeah. to be a big conversation in Parliament, especially when the Liberals sat on the opposition side against the Harper government, about Marine Atlantic. I think yep. we've got some justifiably reasonable concerns about Marine Atlantic. It's not only the cost recovery model, which I think is patently unfair once again at 65%, but what clean fuel regulations mean. Marine Atlantic consumes about 33 million liters per year. Have we heard anybody yep. bring up the topic specifically about renegotiating the cost recovery model or clean fuel regulations and the implications at Marine Atlantic? Uh, I've raised the implications of the clean fuel strategy on Marine Atlantic, just not on Marine Atlantic. But pay, everything comes into this province by truck and boat. Uh, both those are going to be affected by the clean fuel strategy. So everything that comes into our province in particular is going to cost more down the road, whether it be a bag of sugar or a bag of flour or whether it be feed to feed our chickens or anything, lumber, right? Everything is going to see an increase. And businesses in particular, they don't get a rebate. They don't get an offset. So they, they are not going to absorb that extra cost. They're just going to add it on to everything that's on the store shelves. And so? And so, hopefully, the minister will sit down with the four Atlantic premiers and come up with a plan to, to offset that extra cost here in Atlantic Canada as compared to the rest of the country. It's just so confusing to me how some of these issues just kind of fall by the wayside based on whether or not you're in the seated government or in the opposition because it's the same issue, it's the same concerns, the same constituents, and yeah. sometimes we know, I think we really get let down that, you know, quite uh, vociferous and vocal and forceful when sitting in the opposition comes to governing, then it's much easier to just let status quo yeah. be, uh, 
be the be the uh, rule versus the exception because it's easy. And I th- I'm, I'm quite tired of that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, I think there's a lot of people tired of it, Paddy. But like everybody else, I don't think there's anybody in our province or in Atlantic Canada, for that matter, who doesn't realise that climate change is real. And yes, we have to figure a way to tackle it, to, to curb the emissions and everything that goes with it. I mean, we only have to look at what's going on in B.C. right now with the drought and the devastation from the fires. And on that note, I will say that uh, I, I send my condolences to everybody in the family of that uh, young lady who uh, died fighting a fire to keep everybody else safe. And I'm sure her colleagues are, are mourning it as much as anyone else because they're like a family themselves when they're at the fire. Yeah, we don't need to be talked down to by Minister Gibo or anybody else when we talk about no. fairness and clean fuel regulations. I mean, the Earth just experienced its hottest uh, recorded week ever, ever. So yeah. people don't discount the fact that things need to change, behaviors need yes. to change, but it needs to be uh, approached fairly and equitably across the country. Let's move on to the yep. fishery for a second, Ken, and it impacts your uh, your federal riding for sure. Oh, very much. You know, so have you had an opportunity to speak with Minister Murray to get the rationale, let's say specifically with mackerel, because it's a shared stock with the states. I'm not saying we should just go ahead and be reckless with approaching that species, but it makes no sense that I know she's talked about some joint uh, oversight of that stock with the United States, but they're proceeding with a reduced quota. We're seeing a second year in a row of a moratorium. Yep. What's the, have you spoke to Minister Murray about it? Yes, that topic did come up the last time I was in company of uh, Minister Murray, and I did express my disappointment if it didn't get a fishery started this year in the mackerel. Everyone that I heard from in the province, and I'm sure other MPs heard it as well, they've seen great signs of recovery of the stock. There was more mackerel around our province this year in different bays than ever before, but yet the, the science, whether it was done or not done, I don't know, but Again, no macro. And my argument was there should be at least a bait fishery. That didn't even happen. So it's very disappointing when, especially as you said, the U.S. is still fishing that same stock. So if I was sitting there as a as a U.S. legislator or someone who's offering up how much we can catch or not catch, it would be, sure, Canada is not fishing it, so maybe we should fish more of it. So, you know, why are we not telling the U.S. or asking them not to fish a too if it's in such bad stock. And I'm sure they don't want to ruin the stock for future years to come, but they're still fishing it. And yet our fishers are, are not allowed to go out and harvest mackerel for bait, let alone for a commercial entity. Let's move on. Let's stick with it. You have some rivers in your region. Last year, there was a $5 million contract for River Guardians. The season ends way too uh, soon for these people. There's too few of them for the area they have to cover. The season was extended somewhat last year. What do we know about this season, the amount of the contract, and any changes, whether it be with equipment for the River Guardians or how many there will be and how long the season will run? Uh, I'm not sure how long the season will run this year or the equipment they're provided with. Uh, that's something that I guess goes between their employer and the actual people who are working on the rivers. But I, I was glad last year that the minister did listen, and I think it was extended for three weeks at the end. But it's not just at the end we had to look at doing that, Patty. We had to look at getting river guardians on the river much earlier in the season as well, because salmon run earlier in different parts of the province. So if they're running early, there's going to be people on the river who don't want to play by the rules. And if we're dedicated to protecting the Atlantic salmon stock, 
we should do more to protect them and have the river guardians on the rivers earlier and later. I appreciate the time this morning, Ken. Thanks, Freddie, for the opportunity. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, Ken McDonald's the Liberal member for Avalon. Uh, you want to talk about anything you heard there or add to the conversation, you can do it right after this. Do not go away. Welcome back to the program. Let us go. Where am I going? Let's go to line number four and say good morning to Martine Blue. Here comes the second season of Floating After Farley. Let's go. Good morning, Martine. You're on the air. Hi. Hi there, Patty. I, yeah, I just wanted to share news that our show is up on Bell 5 TV1, our documentary reality adventure show where we retrace Farley Mowat's roots in our sailboat. Before we get to what people are going to see in this show, some people may not be aware of the relationship Farley Mowat has with the problems, and it's extensive. Yes, yes. Um, he, he sailed here. He was, he was first enamored with the steamers, so he traveled the southern coast by steamer, and then he decided he and Jack McClelland, who was his publisher from McClelland Stewart Publishing, or sorry, Stewart and McClellan Publishing, they bought a sailboat in Fermuse, and then he sailed it uh, all the way to Ontario eventually, but he ended up sailing it to Burgio, where he lived for five years, he and Claire, his wife, his second wife. So, yeah, he did have uh, quite an extensive relationship with this province and was sailing it. Uh, what do you know about, I mean, because everyone knows he's a famous Canadian writer, but he's also deemed an environmentalist. What can you tell us about that facet of his life? Oh, sure. Well, we cover that uh, quite extensively in Episode 5, the uproar he, he got into in Burgio over saving uh, a whale, a pregnant fin whale. Um, he also uh, was, he, he's, you know, he's given land, he's donated huge chunks of land, and he's always spoken up for the environment. Um, he's written uh, Never Cry Wolf, where he studied wolves, and uh, sea for uh, a sea for the what is it sea of slaughter, um, as well where he talks about the devastation in the ocean. So he's got quite an extensive history with environmentalism and and animal rights. What part of the province does uh, the second season of Floating After Farley take us? Well, it starts in Epworth, and we uh, we actually make it to Galtus sailing this season. That was our, our big goal last year, and we didn't quite make it. Um, but this season we got here, and it took us four days. Uh, we also go to Burgio. We go to the spot where the incident with the whale happened in Aldrich's Pond. Uh, we sailed to St. Pierre, Miquelon, and Langlade, where Farley met Claire. And uh, there were some great smuggling stories. Uh, Farley was uh, part of a smuggling ring in uh, St. Pierre, out of St. Pierre over to Seals Cove in, um, in Newfoundland. Um, so, and also, where do we go? We went to Francois. We went to uh, McCallum, Grey River, uh, Lawn. We ended up in Lawn again on our sailing uh, journey. So, yeah, we, we, we got around. <laughs> we got around the province. So when you arrive in one of these communities, how how and who tells the stories? Well, it, it's narrated by me, um, but the show is part documentary, part reality show. So we go into, we have a lot of archival footage of Farley sailing and, and you know, people chatting about Farley and Farley chatting and, and people um, I've spoken to, his wife who's still alive, Claire is still alive, um, and, and she's 90 now, but uh, she's, her memory is very sharp, so we spoke to her and some of his publishers. 
who are still around. Um, and then we go into reality show as well with our sailing misadventures and, and our visits to these communities. So it's, it's a combo and, and an adventure show as well. How are your sea legs, Martine? Well, I was seasick for most of the time. <laughs> that was a big issue I had that I, I, I powered through it. It was especially hard to shoot while being seasick. I had to pick up my big giant camera and shoot because that was my job. Uh, we had the advantage of another sailor hopping aboard uh, to help us make the trip because Isaac basically was trying to one hand, like solo sail it. And it was just too challenging. And he was worried about sailing overnight and having to sail alone for 30 hours, basically, because I was sh shooting the show. And I also don't really, I didn't have time to learn much of, you know, the sailing, the, the technical aspects of sailing. So we had a friend named Maude Blanchet. Uh, she jumped aboard with us and helped us get to Galtus. Um, but, you know, I, we got to uh, Little St. Lawrence, which is 50, about 15, 20 minutes by car, but it took us six hours, and I already wanted to call our friend to pick me up. I thought I had enough footage probably, and I should just go home out of it because I was I, I threw up, like, right away <laughs> on the travels. But I powered through um, and, and got here, and I'm so happy I did. So, A little you know, aside, I was Little St. Lawrence. We were out there playing soccer in St. Lawrence in the tournament one time uh, when we were, I guess, maybe 14, 15. Myself and Skinny Newhook were billeted together. Our billet was out in Little St. Lawrence. He wasn't there to pick us up. Someone dropped us off. Uh, the load on the door come in, never met the guy first nor last, and we slept <laughs> in a little this little uh, single bedroom with a single bed, obviously a girl's bedroom. So me and Skinny sleeping in that little single bed for the whole week and never met our billet first nor last. <laughs> That's awesome. I know, right? It's great. <laughs> Great community, great people all For along sure. the way, fantastic people, just La like that. Last one. I mean, so this is a TV show, and it's a hybrid doc and reality. But, of course, you've been involved in all levels of film, including a feature film. So... You know, one thing people take for granted when we watch whatever it be, the small screen or the silver screen, is the impact of the soundtrack. I mean, it's the texture that really does carry a lot of storylines because you can afford some downtime with dialogue and let the music and the setting uh, carry the water. So inside of this, I know you use a lot of locals, but talk about how that is incorporated with the visuals because as a filmmaker, you're probably much more better positioned to talk about that because for me, every now and then I think, wow, the sound just carried that entire scene. How about on your show? Uh, definitely. We, we uh, tried as, as best we could to only have Newfoundland and Labrador music in the show. So we have some fantastic artists, Colleen Power, The Burning Hell, The Cubasonics, The Fables, The Lakes of Jeff Pittman. Um, just incredible. And the way we, we tended to use the music a lot of times was to let the music carry the visuals. So the music was kind of like the sea and the visuals were, I guess, you know, was the boat on the sea. Um, and, and it, it, they just, we, we let the visuals and the songs sometimes do the talking, um, because you, you don't need more than that with, with such incredible artists that we have in this province. So that was, you know, we, we let... It, and it's nice to have a break from talking, especially in a documentary kind of production, to just sit back and watch, you know, gorgeous, gorgeous visuals and, and you know, hear the the works of these artists. It's, you know, it's it's a nice break. A hundred percent. You know, there's a reason to give out Academy Awards for sound. Uh, Martine, give the folks the deets about where they can catch this particular show, second season. 
certainly. It's on Bell 5 TV1, and it's video on demand. So everyone who has Bell Cable, it's unfortunately not available through satellite, but it's Channel 1, um, so everyone who has Bell Cable can watch it. And uh, we don't actually have that on Galtus, so we're going to have a free screening at the Community Center on July Wednesday, July 26th, so people can see it because... Season one ends in Galtus, and so does season two. And we're also planning a free screening in Epworth in the fall for season two as well. So it sounds, it, sounds great. Good luck with it, Martina. Thanks for making time. Yes, thanks so, so much for your time. My pleasure. Take care. Okay, you too. Right, bye. Bye-bye. There we go. Uh, Martine and Isaac are floating after Farley. Let's go to line and roll and say good morning to the Director of Rec and Community Services in the town of Marystown. That's Robert War. Good morning, Robert. You're on the air. Well, good morning, Patty. Hope things are well with you. Not too bad. Listen, uh, this is a silly thing to admit. I struggle with how to pronounce your surname. That's War. War. Just simple as that is War. I don't know why my brain always wants to say War. That's fine. Okay. Uh, you're not the only one, but I'll take it. Okay, here we go. Uh, Patty, I thought I'd uh, call in this morning. I thought I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, didn't uh, send out a big shout out to uh, one of our local athletes here in Marystown. Actually, she's moved to St. John's right now, but grew up here in Marystown. That's Maggie Jones, and Maggie was a big part of the under twenty one uh, Canada team that brought home gold at Czech in the Czech Republic uh, this past week. And uh, I thought, uh, you know. I'd, I'd, you know, send out our best uh, regards from the town. We're very supportive for her, and uh, I just wanted to do that this morning. Um, I got a little blurb here in front of me that I'd like to share with you and your listeners. If uh, it'll only take a second, it's just a little bit of background about Maggie. Absolutely, go right ahead. Well, thank you. Well, Maggie started playing hockey at the age of four here in Marystown with the Marystown Mariners minor hockey program as a defenseman, actually. And in 2014, she decided to go into goal and quickly advanced as a goaltender by p- taking every possible game, regardless of the division or gender. And I can attest to that, Patty. I played the over 45 hockey league here many times. You know yourself, you go without a goaltender. Yeah. She was always there to fill in for us, and she was very young at the age, but she didn't mind. And that same summer, she played in summer games as a goaltender in soccer and ball hockey. In June 2019, recognizing her talent, she moved to St. John's to pursue her love of goaltending. She attended the Holy Heart in 2019 to 2021, receiving Athlete of the Year and started playing provincial ball hockey. In 2021, she attended Mount Academy Prep School in PEI and played in summer of 2022. She started her ball hockey career. She made the Newfoundland ball hockey team and traveled to Moncton with the under-19 female Newfoundland contingent, bringing home gold at the Nationals and silver at the Women's B National Championship in Winnipeg. She received accolades at both tournaments. She was named the Team Canada along with eight teammates from the province in 2022. However, due to Ukraine conflict, was unable to uh, travel to Slovakia. This past week was her first performance appearance at the World Power Hockey Stage in Czech Republic. Team Canada, led by Maggie herself, went through the tournament undefeated, and Maggie played a key role in Team Canada's victory over Slovakia in the final game, posting the shutout. She was named Most Valuable Player of the Championship game and also, as well, top goalie of the World Female 
under 21 championships. So, Patty, that's what an accomplishment there. Yeah, right it's, now, it's Maggie. Oh, wow. Maggie attends uh, summer sunny Morrisville University in New York State and plays varsity hockey as well, Patty, as lacrosse. And the first year, she also excelled academically, academically by being named on the dean's list. Maggie has passion for our sport and goaltending and also coaches with Shield Goaltending in St. John's, Newfoundland, Labrador during the summer. Maggie attributes most of her success to the start and support she receives from her hometown here in Marystown, and some of the coaching staff, uh, namely Mark Loader and Joe Strickler, helped her along the way. And I know she's home proud. She comes from great parents, uh, uh, Joanne and, and Aaron. I know them personally. Um, they are great people. And uh, I just want to say on behalf of the town of Marystown and its recreation department, we're very so proud of her, just as so as we were when Caitlin Osmond won her, the gold medal at the World Championships. So there you go, Patty. Uh, what an accomplishment. And uh, I just felt the need to do that this morning. Like you would. So uh, shout out victory in the gold medal game to become world champions. Nothing to scoff at. If I'm not mistaken, in the three points given in the one nothing goal, two of those, uh, I think maybe two, both of the assists were from Newfoundlanders. Absolutely. Yeah, we had nine representatives on that U21 team. We actually had a call from Margaret Faulkner. Her daughter was on that team as well prior to right. her making her she way was. to Chechia. So uh, it's absolutely brilliant. We do really well in ball hockey. We Whether do. be on the national stage and international stage, we got tons of participants, uh, men and women, boys and girls. I think it's great, and I'm sure that Maggie's quite pleased you took the time to give her her due Shout out this morning. Well, Patty, it's my honor, my pleasure to be able to do that. And just before you go there, I, I heard you mention the fact that you uh, you attended a, a, a soccer tournament when you were under 14 or under 15 in uh, St. Lawrence. Yeah. Don't know if that was the uh, Newfoundland Summer Games or not. Was it that time? No, it was the Provincials. Okay, because yeah. uh, I'm originally uh, originally from central Newfoundland, Springdale, and that's where uh, I had my first tournament in St. Lawrence, and I've got a lot of great memories about that place. Absolutely, and I mean, you know the, the same as you said about staying in, you know, in the, in, in Little St. Lawrence. That's where I stayed as well. Cool. Yeah, it used to be really fun to go play, and you know you'd have to uh, remind each other. Let's keep the ball on the ground because you couldn't see it in the sky. <laughs> there you go, buddy. Uh, anyway, Patty, thanks for giving me the time this morning, and uh, listen, have a great day and a great week, and uh, all the best to you. You too, Robert. Thanks for Thank, the call. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Robert War is the director of Wrecking Community Services in Marystown. Let's take a break. Plenty of time after this to uh, talk to you on the topic of your choosing. Don't go away. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number two. Melissa, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. How about you? I can't complain for myself. Uh, unfortunately, I can't complain for others, so which uh, leads me to my call here today. Um, so um, my dad, uh, he retired five years ago, uh, and in late 2019, uh, he began having issues with his mobility. Um, he saw a surgeon in early 2020, just as the p pandemic began. 
Um, and uh, he was actually able to get spinal surgery later that year. Uh, unfortunately, his mobility never did get any better. Um, it did continue to get worse. Um, and during his six-month checkup in early 2021, the doctor said he would probably need another spinal surgery. Um, but at the time, he was uh, 67 years old. They didn't want him to go under the knife again. So they said, you know, let's put him through for a priority nerve test. Uh, so he got the referral. Um, and um, it is now 2023, uh, and my father has not yet been in for his uh, nerve test. Um, so since then, his, his mobility just continues to get worse and worse. Um, so I decided earlier this year to put a, an ATIP request in to find out um, what the situation is in terms of the, uh, the wait lists for nerve tests here in Newfoundland and Labrador, and to see, you know, how it works in terms of uh, somebody who's put in for priority versus not, uh, and try and find out, um, you know, how long it's probably going to take my father to get in to see this, uh, this um, I guess it's a technician to do the nerve test. Um, unfortunately, so my father continues to lose his mobility. So he's using a cane to walk now, often uh, sometimes needs to rest going from one place to another because he can't walk for long periods of time. Um, and actually, in April, he got a phone call from, it was still Eastern Health at the time before it changed over to the, uh, the Newfoundland Labrador Health Services. And um, they asked him if he still wanted to stay on the, uh, on the wait list for getting his nerve test. Um, so he was waiting two years already, and he asked them, he said, well, you know, I was put in as priority how come I'm still waiting? And they said, well, honestly, we're still booking referrals from 2019 for urgent. Um, so when I received the ATIP uh, results back earlier this week, um, I was actually pretty mind boggled um, because I, the information I received was that um, it's still listed under Eastern Health, but it says they're not currently tra uh, set up to track this data. So they are not able to provide me with any of the information on wait times. All they can tell me is that they are still booking urgent requests from 2019. Um, and um, there are still 748 people waiting from 2019 uh, for a nerve test. 401 from 2020, 61 from 2021, and 11 people from 2022. So this is all the backlog of non-urgent requests, which include priority uh, for the Eastern Health um, waitlist for uh, for nerve testing. And I, I'm just, I'm completely, like, I've never, like, I, knew, I know we have backlogs. It's pretty substantial, but I've never heard anybody talk about the nerve test. And people like my father, and he's not the only one. There's substantial people who are um, are waiting for these tests who are losing their mobility. Um, and when you're talking about senior citizens, anybody over 65, they're losing their ability to be independent in their own homes. They're losing their uh, their capability to go and get their own groceries. Um, and it's determined by a, a radiologist whether or not that priority can be turned into urgent or not. Um, and my, my, like I said, my dad's been waiting quite a long time. And um, even the phone calls that he got saying like, oh, yeah, do you still want to be on the wait list? Um, he kind of feels like he's being brushed off by the system. Like maybe, you know, he's a 70 year old man now. You know, is he is he not being taken seriously or do they just not care what the situation is for for somebody in, in his situation? Um, and the, the reason I'm actually calling this week, I did get the results this week, but I'm getting married next week. And my um, my dad, um, he's been telling his surgeon 
since he got referred for this uh, this nerve test, he's like, the only thing I want to be able to do is walk my daughter up the aisle. The only thing I want to be able to do is I want to be able to dance with her at her wedding. And I don't think we'll make it through the entire dance uh, with him being able to be on his own two feet. So I think that, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm to the point now, I'm kind of upset over it. So I said, you know, the, the information came out. Let's let's put it out there publicly and uh, share it on, on open line. I'm glad you did. So first off, congratulations on your pending nuptials. And, you know, to bring it home with walk up the aisle, first dance with the daughter, really does strike a chord, I imagine, with many people listening. The wait list that you described is staggering. A, a couple of things come to mind, and I've heard these stories for a variety of backlog issues. Is the words priority and urgent have simply become innocuous? You know, because I would imagine most doctors are at least putting priority on referrals they're making for their patients. And so when I'm a radiologist or whoever this is being uh, moved up the food chain to, I see all of these require uh, these requis- requisitions or referrals and priority, 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 urgent, 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 urgent. I would imagine it's a minefield for that radiologist to even try to sift through what the priority list should look like or where the hierarchy should look like. So I don't think I've ever had a call about a nerve test backlog, but the numbers you describe are extraordinary. I wonder how many professionals like these radiologists, are actually in place dealing with how many doctors and how many referrals that have these types of stamps, as you as you described. It's, you know, I, I guess it kind of gets lost in the shuffle because if I'm a doctor and I'm caring for my patient and I know that they have issues that are deteriorating, whether it be mobility or otherwise, I'm putting at the very least priority on the requisition or for referral. Sure, for sure. Yeah, actually, one of the things that I noticed in the, the ATIP um, I specifically mentioned priority, and that's when they were saying we don't, we're not set up to, to track this data. But when they supplied the information for waitlist, it's actually in quotation marks, urgent requests. Um, so, I mean, obviously, you know, the word urgent, it seems to be um, uh, the essential format. But um, I remember listening earlier this this week, and you actually had another woman on the show who mentioned that. It, they had urgent on it, and they needed it to be more urgent. So um, I'm not really sure how they, they make these determinations or how you can say, uh, you know, priority versus urgent, um, especially when you're talking, they're still booking urgent requests from 2019. Um, I don't understand how four years later it's classified as urgent. Like, unfortunately, like my dad has said numerous times, he's like, I'm going to be dead and gone before I get this phone call to come in for a nerve test. Uh, and it's it's, sad to think of it. I don't think he will be, but I mean, and it's kind of an exaggeration, but um, I I had this, this fear that the reason they called him earlier this year to see if he still wanted to be on the wait list was to see if he was still alive and kicking, if he still needed the, the purpose for the, the nerve test. And, uh, you know, you shouldn't have to sit back and advocate for yourself as excessively as uh, some of these patients have to when it's their their um, uh, basically their quality of life is what is impacted based on whether or not an urgent request or a priority request or any request for that matter, whether or not it, it makes it through in a, a timely manner. And then the whole recharacterization is kind of flimsy stuff too. So wh- where does that end? Is it really urgent or super urgent? Is this wow? This is wow urgent or like it, it just doesn't make any sense. Urgent is urgent. You know, it doesn't need a qualifier. Uh, Melissa, I'm sorry it's happening to your dad. Fingers crossed he gets this particular test and some sort of treatments that can be offered to hopefully maintain whatever mobility he has left. 
And good luck and congratulations with your wedding. Anything else you'd like to say this morning? Uh, no, that is it. But uh, the only thing, other thing would be um, just to, to listeners, uh, anybody else having this issue, um, don't be afraid to speak up. My dad's advocating for himself. Um, I decided to step in and do this on his behalf. But um, my fear is that it doesn't, it won't get any better until people actually start saying, you know what, we can't sit back on our heels and, and have this happen. So, uh, and thank you, Patty, for having me on to, uh, to discuss this issue. Happy to do it, Melissa. Stay in touch. Will do. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, and not everyone has a champion, right? You know full well there's plenty of similar stories, not necessarily for nerve tests, where, you know, they don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. They don't want to go on the public airwaves. They don't know who's going to pick up their, their torch and fight the good fight on their behalf because not everybody has that. They don't have it in them. And I get it. I think it's very similar to, say, for instance, it's not the same, but it's a similar type of circumstances with, say, for instance, Carter Churchill and the human rights decision. How many families who are feeling the exact same way, experiencing very similar circumstances, don't have that wherewithal, the resources financially and or mentally or emotionally to do what the, what the Churchills did or what Melissa Jenkins just did. So if you want to follow up on that call, and of course, the topics are entirely up to you. Anything under the sun is up for our uh, discussion here on the program, which we'll do right after this. Don't go away. Quick PSA on behalf of the folks out in Grand Falls, Windsor. So there was a scheduled to be an outdoor concert tonight, a free concert featuring the Ennis Sisters and Landlocked. Because of the weather, it's now been moved to indoors, the Joe Byrne Memorial Stadium. Concert begins at 6, doors open at 5. Food trucks are going to be located outside the stadium for uh, purchase for food and drink, what have you. So it's not no longer going to be outdoors in the park. It's going to be in the Joe Byrne Memorial Stadium tonight with the Ennis Sisters and Landlocked. Let's go to line number one. Phyllis, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are you this morning? Doing fine, thanks. How about you? Not too bad, dear. Thanks. I'm calling uh, that girl just called in there about the, the wait list and urgent and that. I was uh, sent in by my surgeon. Well, he booked an uh, MRI for me. It took me 18 months to get in. And I called every month, every month. And every time I call for about five months, she kept telling me, well, we're still doing October. So finally I said to her, my goodness, it must have been a lot of days in October. And anyway, so I said, like, the doctor put urgent on this paper. She goes, oh, well, but she said, that doesn't really mean anything. I said, excuse me, it don't mean anything, not to you maybe, but to my body it does. So anyway, I said, like, why? What's the point in the doctors even sending in these papers to you with urgent on it when you're not doing anything? Should we take them as we feel fit? Now, so that, that was my answer. So now that tells you something. It, it does. You know, a couple of things it tells me is I know some of these healthcare professionals and or the administrative staff, they may be overwhelmed, and they know that so many people are calling with very similar complaints and emotional complaints at that, but it's incumbent on them as professionals to take a deep breath. Don't be condescending. Don't be dismissive because people are calling for a reason. They're worried about their health or the health of their loved ones. So it's understandable that they get stressed out and they speak to people like they did to you, but they can't do that. And maybe we've just got to rejig the whole setup, right? So if the doctors know that putting priority on it is not getting the attention that they think is required for their patient or urgent is not doing the same thing. Maybe we didn't you need to set up something a little bit different. Maybe there's five different categories that you can be put in and make the doctors be as honest as possible 
on these requisitions or referrals so that we are indeed getting to people who need the treatment the soonest to them first. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it's the same thing. I don't have a family doctor now, of course. Don't have one now, but it's almost two years. But before she left, she sent in for me, sent in a requisition for me to have a colonoscopy done because there's so much cancer in my family, right? And uh, they had uh, had sent her a letter prior to that that I was to be in. My three years were up. Well, Patty, I got a letter about a month after that saying that I was being booked, but they would get in touch with me when my appointment was. I haven't heard a word since. And that was two years in July, or will be, you know, two years this month. And so have you, your symptoms or your health issues worsened? It certainly didn't get any better. <laughs> no, of course. I don't mean to giggle, but that. Uh, no, no, I know what you're saying. I didn't mean to be rude either. No, no. But, uh, you know, as what what's a person supposed to do? It's an excellent question, and I don't know if there's anywhere to turn. You know, with the client relations at Eastern Health, or I guess it's all One Health Authority now, that's all fine, and that's procedural, and it gets things documented, but it doesn't change the water and the beans. It doesn't get you in any sooner. No, and I mentioned that to my family doctor before she left. I said, you're going to give me this, I said, to send in now. And she said, I mean, should I put urge or not, because this other doctor, he requested that I'd have it done in three years. So now it's five years, and, you know, they did find something the first time, but now it's five years, and I still, you know, still haven't even got a call saying, well, I'm booked for October type thing. But right now, even if I do get a call, I won't go. I can't go because we're moving to Nova Scotia. Oh, you are? Why are you moving? Well, Patty, it's like this. Senior citizens can't afford to live here in, Nova, in Newfoundland anymore. Fair enough. Uh, when you look at greener pastures, and in this case, Nova Scotia, what do you look at in particular? Are you looking at taxation or the price of groceries or fuel or the price to get into a home? or How do you evaluate it? And what kind of cost savings do you think you can achieve by moving to Nova Scotia? And I don't well, mean to pry. I don't have to answer one, that. It's family up there. Okay. My hus- all my husband, like his kids are all up there. And, you know, we're here. I have a son here. And our health is not the best. So if something happens, you have nobody to even turn to or go to. But at least if you got family, you got someone to turn to. And we're fortunate enough to go up there and have a place where we're not paying rent or anything. Okay. So, you know, that alone, because rents are bad up there, believe me. But, I mean, there's, like, one store there in Coal Harbor. When we were up there in, uh, we were up in April. And we just went in there because there's lineups walk going into the store. Patty, we went in. We bought three pork roast. We bought eight um, blade steak. And you know those long stick pepperonis and that? Mm-hmm. The fat one? $1.97, Patty. And we bought um, chip dip. We bought four or five other things, and it came to $80. I'm not getting that for here for eighty dollars, am I? Probably not. Uh, and you're talking to the grocery shopper of the family. It's it's alarming every single time I go in. You see people, kind of with looks of dismay in their face. You know, the to- the total comes up 
that's $50 or $60. You can put it all in your pocket. Put it in your pocket. Like, sometimes, I, like, I very seldom ever take bags with me. I just put it in the cart because I don't like to hold up the people behind me. So I'll put it in my cart. When I go, I'll put it in my cart. But, you know, as, like I said to the girl last week when I went in, she said, do you need bags? I said, no. I said, what I have here? I said, I can take out in my hand. And she says, $80.67. I looked at her and said, $80.67? Yes, I know, my dear. She says, it's getting worse. I said, yes, and that I can see. I, I paid $4.29 about two months ago for a six-pack of uh, Dateville cookies. They were six twenty-nine this week, last week. Now, Patty, I don't care what anybody says. There's no reason to put a $2 jump on six, six cookies. It's really, truly hard to understand. It was uh, not yesterday, the day before. Uh, the lady in front of me, she had very few items, but one thing that she did have was an apple. And when the uh, cashier put it on the scale and the price came up, she said, I'm not buying that. I, no. It was, I, can't, I couldn't see this, the... the uh, the screen, so I'm not exactly sure how much it reflected, but I thought to myself, imagine having to turn back a single apple, right? Yep. You know, it, it's getting out of hand. And the big concern would be, are they ever going to come back to earth? Because most often, when prices go up on stuff, it's a month of Sundays before they come back down. Oh, yeah, I'm not looking for ad. Like here, I can't see anything coming back down, to be honest with you. I know they say we are on an island, we have to have everything shipped in. But, you know, God forbid, I don't care. There's no logic in what they're doing to us. Yeah. Uh, look, I appreciate the time and the concern. I wish you and your family safe travels and good luck in Nova Scotia. Okay, Patty. Thank you, and you too. You too. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, boy, oh, boy. <clears throat> I mean, that is the real concern that many. It's not only what it cost me today, but, you know, when whatever happens to, whether it be increased food production here on the island, which we just... I know I talk about food all the time, but it's one of the things we all share. We don't all own our own home. We're not all renters. We're not all living in the city. We're not all living in rural Newfoundland. We're not all liberals or conservatives or NDPers or whatever, but we all eat. So it's one of those common goals. And I'll say this again because I think it's worth repeating. Governments at all levels mobilize in times of crisis. In the issue regarding food, if there's any other appropriate word that we should tag to the food concerns beyond crisis, I'm welcome to entertain it. But it is absolutely a crisis. For middle-income folks, upper-middle-income folks, imagine if you're a low-income earner or working poor, going to the grocery store one, might be one of the most terrifying events of your day. If it's not a crisis, what is it? Let's take a break. When we come back, plenty of time to talk about whatever's on your mind. Talk away. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Getting a lot of questions on the exact same issue in this regard in the climate incentive payment, the carbon tax rebate. So people maybe have been told that it's today. As per the government news release, and this has long been the case, which we confirm with the feds, is that it's a floating date. It's between the 14th of July to the 21st of July. Whether there be checks being sent out or direct deposits taking place. So they say that everybody 
who's getting one in this province will have it by the end of the month and they're asking folks to hold off till the end of the month that if you didn't get it then to call so it's a big week-long rollout of this particular rebate that's coming so if anyone told you it's today and today only it's not it's for an entire week that the uh, checks or the rebates are flying let's keep going to line number one brian you're on the air oh hello hello uh penny i'm a first time caller welcome to the show um it's been in the news lately about uh, the violence on uh, transit in in toronto and places and all the uh, experienced it here in St. John's. Experience what? Uh, well, I, I was attacked the other night waiting for the bus. I never went to the police. Uh, I'm not one to, to call the police. <laughs> but it's, it's on my mind. Uh, maybe I should because, well, I'm a 60-year-old man. And I'm in decent shape. I can defend myself, but a lot of 60-year-old men uh, probably have heart problems or whatever, could have had a heart attack. And um, But it is happening here in St. John's. It's, of course it is. And, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, I was uh, attacked 40 years ago in Vancouver. Uh, I was a young Newfoundlander walking down East Hastings Street and heard people running up behind me, and I, I, I never uh, turned around to, to face it. Next thing, I'm on the ground, you know? So this this is in my mind, and this guy ran up behind me, and I turned around, and he stopped me, ran away. And it upset me, you know? It's... Uh, and it's not the first time. In the last couple of weeks, it's it's uh, it's the same individual actually who's hanging around the bus stop and uh, intimidating people. And I don't know. Maybe I should report it. I I, I don't know. I think you probably should. But what does intimidation mean in this case? Getting in their face or hitting people uh, or like, trying to rob their purse like, or what is like, it? Like walking up to you, uh, shouting and yelling and then doing karate chicks uh, in front of you, you know? That's that's unacceptable uh, behavior in, in society. There might be some underlying issues at play well well absolutely yes i i, I agree with you know, they're like it's it's maja they call it the police i believe the mental health act so well, it's, you know it's it's my city here and and it's it, it's progressing to where i i i don't like to go out after dark anymore there's plenty of spots in this city where I think many people are weary of going after dark or even before darkness uh, takes hold. And there's some neighborhoods and, uh, you know, maybe some people in the downtown core. I know friends of mine who, I guess me included, 
in years past, it would be nothing to find us at a, a rock show downtown somewhere. But now I can't even envision leaving a bar after the you know the headliners off and then just taking my chances. Uh, you know, and I'm a pretty big young fellow too, and I'm not afraid of it. But I don't think it's worth it. Absolutely, Patty. It's 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 not the same city I grew up in, and uh, you know. Well, this was twenty after eight in the evening, and luckily enough, the bus showed up at the same time. And uh, the officer said, "Get there, find the bus, buddy." <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. No. It, it's it's you know what can the police do if I had to call the the police for assistance well describe them and, and I'm sure he's probably known to the police because this happened a couple of times to me now the same guy in different locations waiting for the bus I don't think there's any doubt that the police will be familiar with this person whether or not they've gone beyond intimidation and getting in your face and making people feel unsettled or unsafe it still doesn't mean that it's not worthy of reporting. I mean, I think I would if I had experienced it. Yeah, you know, I've I've lost sleep over it the last couple of nights. Do I like because if something were to happen, somebody had a heart attack because of this guy that's that's doing this. Well, I'd feel kind of a little bit responsible, you know, by not reporting it. And 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 he's easy. He 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 would be easy enough identified because he's a small town. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah, the vast majority of people who I will say, and I'm not branding this person one way or the other, troublemakers and criminals, you know, sometimes I think we kind of don't really know exactly what the police know, but they know a lot more than we think they do about who these problem people are and who are the real criminals of concern and where all the drugs are. But then the question will be, what are they doing about it? Because, I mean, we hear from people who are in, right, you know, various various uh, neighborhoods where the police certainly know what's going on because they've responded to calls repeatedly in certain notorious spots in this city in particular, and nothing really changes. So you have Absolutely. to uh, ask the obvious question as to why not? <laughs> uh, they don't have room for them? That could be part of it. Absolutely. Well, I, I... You know, I, I don't know. I, I think it's like uh, there's been uh, some money allocated, I do believe, for for the uh, uh, downtown security security thing. But how far how far does that money go? Not far enough. The real trick there is that there's been a coalition formed, and they've talked about cleaning the place up and additional lighting and what have you. But the RNC will not commit to more resources. Because for me, I think, you know, you can do all of those things. Clean the place up, more lighting, more awareness, and maybe more cabs or Uber in the street to get people out of there quicker and safer. But unless there's, for instance, if you had four RNC officers that came on the beat at 8 o'clock, one started at, say, George Street West, and the other down as far as the ship pub, and they walked back and forth crisscrossing each other for the remainder of the night, you'd probably see a reduction in crime. I couldn't I, guarantee I it, but I think you would. Yeah, like, uh, like years ago, they were on the beach, uh, for sure, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Brian, go ahead and make that report. Whether or not you think it's futile or otherwise, it's worthwhile, I believe. And I appreciate you making time as a first-timer. Take good care of yourself. God love you, Penny. Enjoy your weekend. You too, buddy. All the best. All, All right. Bye-bye. Right. Yeah.
you know, it's like many things. And I know the police are absolutely stretched thin. So we can talk about additional resources for the RNC and the RCMP, of which there's a ton of vacancies with the uh, RCMP here in this province. And I think in the per capita number, the largest number of vacancies of anywhere in the country. And, like, you know, it's just unfortunate. Things have gone... I mean, I don't feel generally unsafe in my city. I don't. But there's lots of neighborhoods where people do. And just like we talk about excessive speed, reckless and aggressive driving, nothing slows you down quite like a police cruiser. Even though you can travel from Port of Bass to St. John's and say you never saw a cop, doesn't mean they're not out there. There's just maybe not enough of them out there to keep the road safe. But when we know the police are called and respond, and I don't know exactly why some neighborhoods seem to have a persistent problem with the same people creating the problem, whether it be through drugs or violence or guns or whatever's going on, it's maybe it's unmanageable at the levels that we're experiencing here. I mean, look at the homelessness numbers. Look at the stats regarding violent crime. Look at the stats regarding uh, gun violence in the city. Don't take my word for it. I'm not trying to sensationalize it because there's no victory in it for me. The Crown Prosecutor's Office has said it. Stats Canada is very clear on this. So where the solutions lie in public safety, which sometimes falls a bit too far down the ladder. We can talk about health care and education and the environment and anything else under the sun, jobs and taxes and the economy. Public safety is got to be somewhere a little bit further up the list. And like I always say, people are asked come election time, where are your concerns? And there's always the obvious, right? It's jobs and taxes and the economy and health care and uh, the environment and everything else. Then education comes even under all of those. And if you got education right, you could deal with those other issues in a much more efficient fashion. Let's take a break. When we come back, wait times and whatever Margaret wants to talk about. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. All right, uh, let's go to line number three. Bill, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you doing? Doing okay. How about you? Uh, not too bad. I am uh, just want to touch on our degraded health system, uh, healthcare system. Like uh, a couple of months ago or so, I was... Uh, suffering well I was suffering all winter with a bad back and uh, I got diagnosed with Bastrop's disease and what that is it's uh, I don't know if you're aware of it but anyway uh, your vertebrae in your spine has openings all the way down but in mine toward the end the two bones are touching together so every time I move a certain way or do a certain thing I get excruciating pain it could last for a day two days an hour, you know, it's no rhyme or reason to it. So anyway, uh, went to the doctor, and, uh, of course, she put in a requisition for me to see orthopedic uh, doctor. And I didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything. So I called uh, the hospital, uh, uh, I guess, three or four weeks ago. They had nothing, couldn't tell me anything. So last week... I called again, and they told me uh, eight to twelve months before I could see see this doctor. Okay, so that didn't go over too good with me. So and so another incident, uh, unfortunately, about I guess a couple months ago or a month and a half ago, I I stepped on a piece of glass and. Um, Got most of it out myself. It wasn't a big piece of glass, but anyway, uh, I've been in pain with that. I never got it all out. So then a big lump came on the bottom of my foot, and this thing, is, the glass is still in there. 
So I went, I couldn't get to see my family doctor, so I went to a walk-in clinic, saw a doctor. He says, oh, yeah, we got to get, get an x-ray done. But anyway, long story short, the x-ray didn't show it. So he said, you need an ultrasound to find it so we can get it taken out. So he's, this is about three weeks or more ago. He said, I'll put in a requisition to uh, for you to get an ultrasound done. Never heard anything on that. So two days ago, I called and to appointments to find out if they had a requisition there for me to get an ultrasound. Yes, she said. Your appointment, your book for November the 15th. Now, that's our health care system. Like I say uh, quite often, once you get in, it's pretty good. But while you're waiting to get in, it's extremely frustrating. And, you know, I have i hadn't had a family doctor for so long. And I kind of really didn't need one. I had a couple of uh, trips to the emergency room with a sore back and a couple of things like that and had an infection after a root canal. But when I finally got a family doctor, now I'm getting poked and prodded and tests and all these types of things. There was one in particular, and it's for nothing important, and it's no real serious consideration. It's more vanity. I want this little skin tag removed. So I got a referral to a dermatologist. I waited, waited, waited. Then I said, well, I'm going to call the office, see if they have the request or the referral. I did, and the appointment they were offering me was for 13 months later. <laughs> 13 yeah, months. Like, and, and how many other people are in the same situation, like trying, waiting and waiting and waiting? Like, I'm, I got... I walk around every day and I got to be very careful because when I certain way I walk, uh, this piece of glass that's in my foot is excruciating. And, you know, it's I don't know what's going on. Like the, the this government changed ministers, health ministers, but it seems like we're gone even worse. Now, uh, just to touch on the uh, m- mobile units that that they're going to buy. 140 grand each or whatever and and try to uh get doctors and nurses and nurse practitioners to uh, uh you know to operate them how much is this going to cost in overtime like you're talking about working from four o'clock in the in the evening to uh eight at night and on weekends like the, the overtime is going to be astronomical and not only that if a doctor on one of those units prescribes a, a, a for to see as an orthopedic surgeon or a specialist how in the hell are they going to get to how long is it going to take to get to see one like it's crazy i don't really know exactly how these mobile health clinics are going to work to be honest with you i did have a little look around about the numbers that are being utilized in different provinces especially in the land of canada some reports about what that what that looks like regarding success and all the types of things. And it's kind of really, the details are scanty, as we're apt to say here on VOCM. But they say that they're going to use existing staff to operate these uh, mobile units. They go in to say things like change of scenery and all those, and the types of hours worked will hopefully allow them to recruit more staff. That sounds like a bit pie in the sky to me, like, you know, okay. change okay. of scenery. They're, they're closing ER uh, emergency room uh, in different small communities because they don't have the staff. So how in the hell are they going to get the staff to operate these mobile units? And what's the cost going to be 
as I said before, not only for the units, but the overtime costs to to operate them. I mean, I, it just don't it boggles my mind. Yeah, I don't know if it comes as much in the way of overtime. If they're working a regular type of shift, and it's just that wouldn't be in addition to their shift at the clinic or the hospital. Is that's how I read it anyway? Is there going to be some overtime? I would think so, probably, but I don't think it's a full time overtime issue. Anyway, it's uh, I don't know where we're going, but uh, you know, with the healthcare thing, and and it's just I don't know. I don't know anymore. Like. It's and that lady that called in a while ago and said she's moving to Nova Scotia. Uh, wish her well, and she, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, she's making a good move because we're we're not only are we taxed to death here, but the gas prices you can't go anywhere, the food prices you can't live healthy. Uh, it's just and and the, the price of gas keeps going up. Nobody's doing anything about it. The, the feds just put our uh, just put up the uh, interest rates. We're going to drive people out of their homes. Well, of course, that's a national issue. And at, yeah, the, so at the premier's meetings, though, look, and this is not in defense or support or anything of anybody or any party or any government, but the conversations we're having here, they're having in every single province. To a man, to a woman, the premiers from coast to coast to coast said the virtually the exact same thing about the health care system. And they have the shortages and the wait times. Now, there might be some worse circumstances here, some worse in other provinces, but we are not alone in struggling with the delivery of health care and uh, human resources in health care. And not because I say so, because the various premiers up and down the line, when asked, said almost the exact same thing, carbon copy of the first premier's answer. So we've got a national conversation, which is why I've been saying, I know the feds will simply say, health care is a provincial jurisdiction. Here's the health care transfer dollar. Deal with it. But it's not working. How did we end up like this? How did we end up with our health care in such dire straits? We've been on this path for a long time. That's the problem, is we've been on this path for a long time, but until... Does it relate to uh, that whoever's looking after it don't know what they're doing? Is that the problem? I don't know. That might play a role, but this this did not happen overnight. This has been happening. The big problem with all of that is until it got to the breaking point, we didn't really talk about it as if it was a crisis until it became what I think is legitimately tagged a crisis because how could you call it anything else? People are experiencing what they're experiencing while they wait to get in the system. When you get in, it's not so bad. When you're waiting, it's frustrating, it's exhausting, and it's making people's lives more miserable. So, again, this didn't happen simply because of one minister, one premier, one party or another. This has been happening. And people, you know, in some corners have been talking about it, but it didn't get that concerted focus that it gets today. And it might be just a tiny little bit too late. It seems seems to be getting worse, Patty. Maybe. Anyway, I'll let you have the final word. Go ahead. Go ahead. Anyway, no, I'm I'm finished. I just wanted to get my point across. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do or where we're all going to end up, but it's not good, I can assure you. I appreciate the time. Wish you well. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, and again, you know, every time I say something like that, that it gets me the old, boy, you're always defending. It's not defending anybody. In fact, the conservative governments, NDP governments, liberal governments, are experiencing, if not the exact same thing, then very similar uh, circumstances regarding health care. You know, and again, what the outcome is going to be here, I think, is as clear as the nose on your face. 
if we simply think that the federal government's role in this is to just create a health care transfer dollar, maybe earmark it for specific things like mental health or senior care or whatever they want, we are going to find ourselves spending more money on health care simply in a bidding war. Is that going to improve anything in the system? Absolutely not. So if money was the answer, we'd have it licked here in this country because the country, the provinces, the territories spend copious amounts of money on health care. Just look what we do in this province. $4 billion on health care for 525,000 people, and we still have the concerns and the wait times and the backlogs, as described by listeners. Anyway, let's take a break. We can change the tune from health care to anything else under the sun or continue with it if you see fit. Uh, don't go away. Join Greg Smith weeknights at 545 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration shows, and new music. Tune into Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM. Welcome back. All right, let's go. Line number two, Margaret, you're on the air. Uh, good afternoon. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Doing great. You? Okay. I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Yeah. Uh, no, I was calling today because... Um, it had been bothering me the last number of weeks and uh you know and with everything on my mind I, you know you're thinking about that and then i'm thinking no i have to speak out on that because it's upsetting me uh, my my son brandon his uh anniversary of his passing was this saturday past brandon tucker and he was a beautiful gay man and when i had been listening over the past weeks and heard from friends you know what had been going on in the schools because obviously my, my boys are not in school anymore, but you're still listening. And uh, I'm a member of the school board too, but I'm off now, obviously, for the last year. But it became very upsetting to me, Patty, and that's why I was calling. And, um, you know, I know they're having their festivities and everything else, and you had your Pride Day, and that's over. But to me, it's never over. To me, every day should be Pride Day to support individuals. You agree with that? I think I've made my thoughts uh, really well known on this front. I think mm -hmm. what we've what we've seen is mm -hmm. that it's a segment of society that's pretty small in numbers and consequently quite vulnerable, not because of the sexual orientation or gender ideology, but because they're easy pickings. And as a result, the conversation has become more and more toxic and more and more people are latching on to things that are actually not happening, but they like to right. think they are because Things are different. People are different. And so now we've right. demonized the segment of society just because people are uncomfortable with it. It's really becoming a huge problem. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. And I thought about my son and I thought, you know, such a beautiful person, such a good person, you know. And uh, I'm dealing with a nightmare now, dealing with that. Oh, it's every day. And uh, dealing with that loss and being devastated because of that. So... You know, basically, I, I said I had to call in because I thought, um, what, even what's going on with the schools, you know, people keeping their children out of school because it was Pride Day or having a big fuss because St. Matthew's had a, a lovely Pride Day celebration. And I've been in St. Matthew's school, beautiful school, beautiful teachers. The students are well taken care of. Nothing is done without the approval of the principal, and it has to go to the school board, obviously. And there's such a fuss to be made, you know, and to make any person or any, any child that's there who feels different, you know, uh, and that they have something that they feel that they would probably express when they're ready and have other people, other children to be influenced by what's at home, sending them to school to have, making them feel if they do go the day after, well, I didn't go today. Why didn't you go today? You were kept home. 
they, you know, they would look at those children differently. And in a junior high or a high school setting, they're going to look at them differently. Then you're causing segregation. Basically, you're separating them. And there's enough bullying going on in the schools today, Patty. You don't need that. I mean, I went to Holy Heart back, what, 1984, I graduated. You had 1,200 girls in the Holy Heart system. They were lesbians. Of course. You had lesbian teachers. You had a lesbian school council, you know, heads. And I had them in my class, best of friends, the most wonderful people in the world. It didn't mean because I was associating with them that I was going to be lesbian tomorrow or because I have three boys. that one of, Because I have one gay boy, well, then, you know, I better watch how he's behaving because he's going to affect the rest. You know what I mean? And I would have been quite happy if I had three great gay sons. I would have been quite happy. Uh, it would make a difference to me in the world. So what I'm saying is I, I, I don't think people who are standing on their soapboxes, you know, and all of this, this negativity that's going on out there, you know, to the point where they're bringing up, bringing kitty litter uh, containers in the schools. And I'm thinking, I don't live in St. Phillips anymore because my boys are raised from Obarka Road and left St. Phillips and Beachy Cove, another wonderful school, wonderful school, wonderful staff. And um, I thought to myself, if I was down there and I, my children were going to school now, I'd be up on the roof of the school because basically I would be so outraged to think that so much going on. I just, it just blows my mind. And I just had to call because I thought, you know, negativity feeds on negativity. And if you have it coming from a household where you're saying, mm, I'm not going to send you today. What are you teaching the children? And how are they looking at the other students? The minute they start to look at them differently, you have separation in the classroom, right? And then you have the children then not including them. And that's so important. And then you look at them as, you know, as then it progresses and you're going to junior high and high. And I, I just, uh, I'm just blown away by things that I've heard and, and, you know, things that have gone on. And now here we are with the beautiful festivities and, and I'm so happy for them all. And I just wish that my Brandon was here and he could uh, partake in that. So I, um, I get so sorry, but I get to thinking, um, they are such beautiful people. You know, you had the likes of Anderson Cooper come here. And take care of the broadcasting for that terrible tragedy with that submersible. And everyone in this province was glued to their TVs. And he is a beautiful gay man. And I could go on and on and on about all the, the, the beautiful gay men and women who have such, so much to offer and are so successful and such caring individuals. If we didn't see from Anderson Cooper what a gay young man could become, even with tragedy in his life, you know, I, I get to thinking of parents, did you, did you have a hard, you know, did you have a good look at him? Because, you know, when you're degrading or putting other children down because of their sexual orientation, you, you're destroying the likes of him. And he gave us something that most people in this province would sit back and say, yeah, Anderson Cooper, Cooper did us well. He did us well. He, he did what he had to do for those poor people. And God rest their souls. But he also made a comment about us. And he was amazed by us the people of St. John's and their kindness and their goodness. And he's, in all of these travels, he's never seen it. So I think when people think about what they've said and what they've done and how they treat other people in the gay community, they need to think about that statement. And that's who we are. And the small majority that are negative and have to get on their soapbox and have to proclaim that what brings negativity, we need to remember who we are. And the people of the LGBTQ community needs to know this is who you are. You are the goodness. You are kind. Always remember that. And I, I just wanted to just call in because the loss of my son is devastating to me. And to think that that kind of behavior can lead to homophobic crimes, 
can lead to homophobic deaths. It, 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 things, people become angry. People become negative. People become, develop hatred. And it all starts from an early age. I really believe that. So I, I just had to come on because to me, what's going on, people need to look. You have to look at the, at the, the uniqueness and look at Anderson Cooper and say, yeah, he's a fine gay man. Well, you know what? We have that beauty all around us. So stop with the negativity and the foolishness and, and think about beauty and think about what we have here and how, what we have to offer. You know, the articles that I read and then I was looking at, I thought, we're not that. We're not that. And if you put any of those little negative thoughts in your children's minds when they go to school, you're promoting that. You know, you're promoting that. And I'm sorry, I'm, I don't mean to go on and on, Patty. Uh, that's okay, you Margaret. Know? You know, yeah. just uh, the, the litter box thing, it's just nonsense. It's not true. It's not but it gets perpetuated and all of a sudden people are convinced it's real and you know you know how we treat each other and how we treat visitors the unfortunate reality is we're much kinder to folks who visit than we are to each other we just it's just the unfortunate reality that we deal with and here's how toxic some of the conversations have become and this was just yesterday a local politician who i'll leave his name out of it because it doesn't matter mm -hmm. local politician yeah. uh, uh, put forward a picture on social media of a pride-colored yep. park bench in his community. The, one of the immediate reaction was, everyone knows you're a pedophile. You're like, what? How did we get there so quickly? What's going on? Yeah. How yeah. can that possibly be a picture of an inanimate object posted by a member of the community who was then immediately told he's a pedophile? I mean, that speaks volumes to me about how disgraceful the conversation has become. And yeah, in some yeah, form, yeah. unmanageable. People get mad at me for even entertaining folks who have those types of thoughts. But I'm thinking, if we don't even have a conversation about it, then right. I believe the uh, status quo, the way we're going, is only going to get worse. So I don't know exactly right. how to deal with it, but I know that the stuff that comes at me is really quite vile. I'm being called, sure. so I'm willing to have a conversation about things. I got people sending me notes calling me a groomer. Like, what are you talking about? Grooming what? <laughs> For who? Like, what exactly yeah. is going on in people's minds that all of a sudden I'm a groomer? Like, what? Yeah. And a, a picture of a park bench makes someone a pedophile? What? No, that should be looked at as beautiful. And I think, you know, now that you mentioned that, a few more should be added because it's beautiful. And you know what? And you're right. You have to talk to these people because if you don't have communication with them, how can you ever get through to them? I always think, well, maybe you'll get through to one person. You know, if you do something positive, maybe you'll get through to one person. One person might hear you and say, yeah, she's probably right about that. Or, yeah, Patty's right about that. You know, that's why you're there. You know, to give a positive influence to society and hope in one way or one one person. If you reach one person today, Patty, to say, yeah, I think I'll think about that differently. Maybe that person has said that. If they heard that today, maybe they'll say, yeah, after listening to that, maybe I'll look at that differently. Now, what you do is very important, and I wouldn't let the naysayers or that negativity affect you, but especially the people who are out there who are part of the community, the gay community. And, and like I said, my son was beautiful. My son radiated goodness and kindness and if every person who gets on there with their negativity i hope you raise children as beautiful and kind and good in society as my son was because i i just blown away i'm blown away like when you say that i'm so blown away what are they in, what are they insinuating that because a person is gay that they're oh, they're going to be you know involved in pedophile pedophile whatever you call it with being a pedophile or to go out and, and harm other children 
I mean, I watched America's Got Talent the other night. They had the most beautiful episode where they had this young girl who was autistic, and she had her father. She was in a center or whatever, and they had adopted her. It was her father. He was a music instructor. And then his partner was another beautiful gay man. They were married. And they took that young girl, and they raised her. And she was very successful. She was also blind. And she was on performing. I'd say she might have been 18. I'm not sure. But they were beautiful. And, and to look at what they had done. You had the likes of all of the, the panel there, and you know who I'm talking about, Simon and everyone, and they were so impressed. And she got the golden buzzer, and I remember thinking to myself, yeah, that golden buzzer is not just for you, my darling, and how beautiful and talented you are, but it's for your fathers, for the goodness, what they're doing. So when you look at examples like that, the gay men and women in this province should hold their heads up. And if Anderson Cooper came here and, and he talked about all of us, like you said, and, and St. John's is such a wonderful place, well, yeah, we have wonderful people, and our gay people, our lesbian, you know, the LGBTQ and, and on, uh, they're beautiful. And if you can't look at someone like him and have respect and say, yeah, they are good people, they shouldn't be, there shouldn't be a difference, you know, it shouldn't be a wall up. I don't understand it. And like I said, going from 1984 at Holy Harbor, 1,200 girls, and you had lesbians everywhere. And, and, and it was, it was I, I think to myself, it was all... You know, the boy George time and everything was coming out. And I don't know if we've gotten worse. I really don't. I, I don't know if it's gotten worse. And, and I get there thinking, you know, to, to say to your children, like, you know, stay clear of them type attitude. You don't just touch someone. You don't have to be around them to become gay. It's, it's something that you feel and it's part of you. And, and, and you just don't turn gay. I don't understand why they would have negativity in the schools that the children should be around. It just shouldn't be an on Pride Day. Or, it just upsets me, Patty. And, you know, to go to a grave on Saturday and know my beautiful son is there, I know in my heart that he would want me to call and he would want me to say, Mom, stand up for them. Stand up for all of them, for me, because they're beautiful. And never let the negativity of others dim their light. Always celebrate yourself and hold your head up, everyone. And, and let alone those who are looked down upon. So I just had to call because I, it's a very, very uh, upsetting time for me. But uh, I wanted to speak my mind and speak my truth. And I know my brand is looking down and saying, yes, Mom, kudos, you know, do that, do that. And I know I have three other, three boys, and I have two um, that are beautiful boys that are here with me. And... Um, I look at them and I get to thinking, why would you think because your son is involved with someone who is gay, why would you think, you know, it's going to rub off or you're going to watch a trans dance and celebration at a school, which would never have occurred if they hadn't had the principal and the vice principal and the school board all agree. We're talking the very, very, very bright people who take care of our children each day, day in and day out. They spend the majority of their time at the school. You know, I'm in there. Uh, they spend their time with with the school, and then they come home, and they have you know time after school, time with their supper, time with you know homework, and then they go to bed. You think about the hours they're spending more time at the school than they are at home when it's not summer break. So I'm thinking, you know, look at the school, look at the teachers, appreciate them for all that they're doing. Look at you know, like Brent Landon said, or Trent, sorry, he said, uh, you know, enough is enough, enough is enough. I'm thinking, yeah, truer words were never spoken. Enough is enough. Margaret, I appreciate the time, and I wish you well. Yes, and uh, thank you for having me, Patty. I, I just wanted to get on and to support them. And if anyone is out there listening who are part of the community, 
hold your heads up. Don't let the negativity of others bring you down. Celebrate yourself each and every day. Take and thank care. you for what you're doing, Patty. Thank you for everything you're doing. Happy to do it. Happy to have you on. Thanks, Margaret. Oh, hello. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, you know, and just in last point, the insinuation that teachers, men and women of all different ages and all different political ideologies and their administrators are willfully hurting and harming and purposefully putting their children, your children, in harm's way, if you just think about it out loud, doesn't that sound a little bit outrageous? Let's take a break. Jeff, can't wait to speak with you. The subject line says, Jeff has positive news. Fantastic. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Jeff, you're on the air. Patty, how are you getting on? Great. You? Good. Uh, I don't have good news exactly, but I thought I'd call in with a kind of a lighthearted call just okay. to uh, just for a bit of fun on Friday. Let's do it. All right. The, uh, I'm a longtime listener of the show. Go right back to... Ron Pumphrey, Nightline. And, uh, and so um, with respect to your show, I have what I think are the top three regular contributors, regular callers. So the, you, you, I guess you have an opinion. You probably wouldn't be able to say it, who your favorite top three callers are because you've got to be fair to everybody. But uh, I can't say it. So the, ver- the top number one, is from Eastport, Charlie. Charlie calls in all the time, speaking about a variety of topics, and I feel like he is my number one favorite regular contributor. All right. Now, when you listen to the show a long time, you get to learn about people because every time they call, they drop a little bit more information, personal and otherwise. So things uh, I've learned about Charlie from listening to the show, a regular contributor, is... He lives down around Eastport somewhere. He's like a hobby farmer, uh, uh, environmentalist, bird watcher. He calls in on a variety of subjects, mainly environmental, but also, and here's where the color comes in, uh, on UFOs. <laughs> he uh, claims to have seen UFOs. So that's why Charlie, I feel, is one of your most interesting uh, regular contributors. Fair enough. Okay, number two. This one's controversial, but my second favorite regular contributor is Tom. Now, I see Tom gets a lot of negative feedback because Tom likes to give us uh, our medicine. And uh, a lot of what he says I do agree with. He really advocates for a greater level of personal responsibility. But I see, you know, the audience, they don't like that too much. And Sometimes. Twitter Look, Tom doesn't to pull any show. punches. So I'll, I'll comment on each. Uh, I like Charlie. Charlie does have a keen focus on climate-related matters, especially how it's uh, adjudicated or uh, discussed in the schools. I do find it fascinating when he takes us to the world of unidentified flying objects or what have you. I, you know, I, I'd like some of these off-the-beaten-track conversations. Maybe it's just a bit of uh, relief for me because some of the topics that dominate sometimes get a little bit difficult to try to deal with. Tom doesn't pull any punches. He has certain issues regarding productivity and how the public service is operated and all those types of matters. He's also very concerned with the environment and people's personal responsibility. So like, I get it. Some people will like some callers and they won't like other callers, but that's just the nature of the beast, right? Not everyone's going to like everybody and their perspective on everything. That's just how the world works. Okay, who's your number three? 
Okay. Number three yeah. is for everything legal, we go to the expert, Colin. <laughs> I could have written it down. I have Colin in the top three. I would have, I would have been able to write your list. <laughs> well, you would have. Yeah. So you got a list similar. Well, I don't even know if I do, to be honest. Uh, but I knew you were going to say Colin after you said Tom. <laughs> and Colin is really, I think, well-informed on legal matters. And uh, I can appreciate that. So, again, some people don't like Colin's calls, and others really do appreciate it and uh, quite enjoy his perspective on these matters. So, fair enough. Whoever people's top three are, good enough for me. Oh, I don't see any negative neg negativity towards Colin. I, I feel like everybody likes Colin's uh, input on uh, everything legal. Um, a lot of times what happens is, and this is what I love about Colin, is every now and then you've got a legal issue in the news and everybody wants uh, the um, accused burned at the stake right there and then. And then Colin comes in, you know, with a measured response saying everybody's entitled to a defense and he kind of like sets us back straight again and explains the legal system and how it works. And so I always value Colin's calls. And uh, Colin delves every now and then into international politics, too. And that can be quite interesting. But a real bright guy. I like Colin. Yeah. I like all three. three. They're my top three regular contributors to the Open Line Show. Welcome to the podium, gentlemen. <laughs> and uh, next time I call in, I will give you my bottom three. <laughs> no, I won't do that. Let's do it. <laughs> but I do have that list. I do have that list, but I will not share it. I and uh, you know what? I've never thought about it quite like that. I don't think I've ever considered who are my faves or least faves are. I do have some least faves, but that's just, of course, how I, how couldn't I, as the host? But I'm not afraid to say who I think is my favorite caller of all time. I'm pretty sure it's Bob Thorne. Okay, go ahead. Uh, just uh, Bob's an older gentleman, historian. Oh yes, fascinating yeah, knowledge. Now, yeah, yeah. I really appreciate talking to Bob. Now, of course, truth be known, even some of the more frustrating callers, I don't necessarily dislike speaking with them. It can be frustrating for me, and I'm sure maybe for the listeners and for them. But that, once again, is the nature of the beast. It takes all kinds of voices from different corners on different topics, which I think is a special thing uh, or feature of this program. Some people will agree with some, people will disagree, yell at the radio, applaud the radio, and that's, I think, exactly how the show and why the show works the way it does. But uh, I'm sure the lads, Charlie and Tom and Colin, will appreciate your uh, top three selection. <laughs> now, Bob is definitely an honorable mention. I can see why he should make the list as well. I love Bob. Now, a little while back, didn't Bob give you a record with all kinds of historic uh, athletes on, on, on uh, recording? Absolutely. It's brilliant. Yes, yes, yes. That's Bob. Yeah, yeah. I, I love Bob, too. Yes, you're right about Bob. There we go. Jeff, I got to get to the news, but I, I appreciate the time and the call. Have a good weekend. You too, buddy. All the best. Bye-bye. There you go. Uh, all right. <laughs> there you go. That's a new one. Dave, have we ever done anything like that? Someone call in with their top three faves? <laughs> Pretty good stuff. And I'm sure the lads are absolutely chuffed. Made their week. All right, let's take a break for the newscast. When we come back, let's wrap it up by speaking with you. Don't go away. Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number two is taking more to the mayor of the town of Conception Bay South. That's Darren Bent. Mayor Bent, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you doing today? That's bad. How about you? 
Not bad, not bad. Look, I just wanted to call in, um, you know, uh, one week ago today, the town of Conception Bay South kicked off its Kellegrew Soiree, and we're about to finish it off tonight with what we call the Last Blast on the Beach, which is a concert, an open concert for family down at Topsail Beach. Uh, we're running free shuttles from Topsail Elementary for folks that want to get down easily and not worry about parking or traffic and all that. And, uh, you know, a week ago today, we uh, officially opened our our new community park with splash pads and so forth. And uh, we've had a great week of weather, uh, fantastic events, well-attended events. I think we had more than 1,200 out to our famous Kellegrews Garden Party, which had, you know, the masterless men, Irish descendants, navigators, picking the ballpoint. So we've had a really great week in Conception Bay South celebrating our soiree and our 50th anniversary at the same time. Good crowds, I imagine. You know, that's one disappointing thing about here in the city, and not to be too harsh on my fellow townies, but we don't do a great job of rallying around uh, townie events, right? But it seems like other communities have great success with it. Yeah, and we welcome, uh, as you call them, and I'm not calling them this, townies. Uh, we welcome them to our events, uh, Patty. And, uh, you know, uh, we get a lot of people from out of town that, you know, it's that, that day drive or so forth. You know, people come out to Conception Bay South to drive out around the bay and they stop in. They see an event going on, more than welcome to join in because these most all of these events are community events. They're free events and uh, family-oriented. So we've had a great week for that. And, uh, you know, especially the seniors event, which we love, the Clara Nolan barbecue, you know, a little play on the soiree song, uh, you know, I, we get 200 plus to that every year, and, it, and this year was no different, and the weather has been incredible all week long, thankfully. Uh, it didn't look that way in the beginning, but it's worked out great. Good to hear. It's always fun to have a little distraction from some of the other issues, whether it be as municipal leaders or residents of one community or another. It doesn't mean that the other concerns go by the wayside, but at least there's an opportunity to, you know, have a bit of fun. Yeah, and Patty, just on that note, I wanted to bring something up because I know VOCM ran a story yesterday and uh, Greg Smith reached out to me and I, I didn't want to leave uh, the request hanging. So I wanted to just touch a little bit on the issue of the grass mowing. And I, I think you might have brought that up yesterday yourself. But, um, you know, uh, we had an issue uh, up until this week. Now, most of it is cleared up, uh, you know, in, and we've done a great job this week. Our staff, our public works staff helping out, our recreation staff and so forth, getting things caught up but we had a situation in june uh where we were down an unusual number of workers uh you know employee movement uh different things happened and uh when we were calling people back the, they just weren't there to come back and we started the hiring process immediately and of course that process didn't wrap up until the end of june and interviews early july and so forth and uh the grass was getting a little bit high because we brought in this no mo may you know to support the environment the bees and so forth and so the grass was a little bit high in most of the areas in the town. Uh, but through June, of course, the weather stayed fairly bad, unfortunately, but uh, the grass didn't grow that much. And then, of course, around the third week of June, the, the weather changed on a dime. We went from 10-degree highs to 25-degree highs, and uh, so everything shot up, a bit of rain and so forth. What I can say is, and just to be clear on this, all of our playing fields, our soccer fields, our softball, baseball, rugby, they've all been mowed regularly 
as the season began like they would any other year. So there's been no impediment to uh, young people or even adults playing on our uh, playing fields. That hasn't been the issue. The issue uh, uh, that we've encountered that we needed to get the staff in and the help from our union to be able to use staff from other departments to catch up has been open spaces and playgrounds. And, you know, and council was very concerned about that. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things that we are disappointed in that we got so late getting our playgrounds and our communities mowed. They, you know, we really wanted to mow two to three weeks earlier than they got. And unfortunately, they got caught in that uh, lack of staff issue uh, that we had for that period of time. And uh, we do have them mostly all done now, uh, open spaces as well. And if, look, if there's anybody in CBS that has a community playground or an area that hasn't been mowed yet, feel free to reach out to council or the town. We'll get there lickety-split and get that done. But thankfully, we're pretty well all caught up now uh, with all that, uh, you know, when we've got the staff coming in. You know the, you know what it's like, Patty. Now, I, I know a picture went up about one of our playing fields, but you know what it's like. Uh, you have a 20-degree day. It rains that night. The sun comes out the next day. And if you mowed it the day before, you're not going to mow it the next day. And then the grass shoots up within three days, and, you know, you've got a, a tall, tall outfield, you know, for softball or baseball or for soccer and then we'll get to it again you know as quick as we can but you can't mow every day and you can't be stood there with a mower and I think most people realize that and you know as well as I do you just you can't combat it all the time sure uh, my my lawn needed mowing twice within five days last week you know so uh uh, the weather is uh, dried out a little bit now, and of course, as we get into July, August, it gets drier, and then things don't need to be mowed as often. So we're happy to be past that. Yeah, well, I guess same could be said for what I call my lawn, but it's actually a collection of weeds and moss, <laughs> which I cannot get ahead of. There's, I just cannot fight it. I don't know what's going on, but anyway, it's driving me a bit around the bend. Look, I, I, I get the scheduling for trying to keep up with mowing all the open spaces and the different uh, fields. Then fair enough. I, I do know, and this has got nothing to do with your community. My nephews played some minor soccer on a pitch that was pretty woolly the other day, and at their size and the age, I mean, it was a struggle just to keep, be able to keep the ball out in front of you. But I know, you know, like everybody else, we want whatever we touch to be manicured when we touch it, and sometimes that's just not realistic. But anywho, there you go. Yeah, no, and look, it's, it's the product of the weather. You know, you get a couple hot days, and then it rains a night. Grass is going to shoot up an inch overnight before the next afternoon, you know, but and you could have mowed it the day before, but everybody knows that. I mean, we, we've we been doing our playing fields right along. That hasn't been really an issue. The, if it gets tall, like you said, you know, or woolly, uh, you know, uh, the, the town or the city or whoever it'll be, I'm sure they'll be along in a couple of days to do their regular mow of it and get it back to stuff. And, uh, you know, and we ask, like, uh, our sporting groups or, organizations that use areas just let us know you know because we do things on a schedule our staff just don't go willy-nilly around town they you know they do things on a schedule so if something happens and something needs an extra bit of attention just let them know and uh, they'll be out to help with it fair enough and uh, this is a little bit tongue-in-cheek but you know i'm always interested in origin of people's surnames in particular and in, in addition their first names but surnames are fascinating when you look at some of the history and where the names came from and again this is straight up tongue-in-cheek but do you happen to know if you're from a lineage a family of crooked irish police officers i absolutely am not uh, my my lineage is completely english and I can go and I can go back to 1598 if you need me to. 
Because <laughs> uh, just from some of the English crime dramas that I watch, it's one of the references to bent coppers. Anyway. Yeah, I, I think some of the uh, indications that the name originated in uh, southern England, uh, the people that live near the uh, area of bent grass or something like that. And, uh, and, uh, and of course, the name has changed a number of times for different people over the years, changed to Bentley and you know, Benton and Bent, you know, all the different yeah. derivations of the name through over the years. And you know them all. And I know that, uh, you know, if you go down in through uh, Nova Scotia, where I was born, um, and uh, back in the days of the phone book, uh, there was a long list of them. It wasn't as long as Murphy here, but it was as long as a lot of names here. So, you know, it's very common there, not as common here. And Daly's not a very common name in the city either. There's only a handful of families. When I was a kid looking through the phone book, there was one we always used to get a charge out of. It was a Norwegian guy here. His name was Yarhuki, but in the phone book it was Cookie Jar. There you go. <laughs> Darren, good to have you on the show. Or pardon me, Mirbent. Okay, no worries, Patty, and I thank you for having me on. And uh, have a great weekend. And just a reminder, we're we're finishing up our soiree tonight at Topsail Beach, but we're still going on with our 50th anniversary year, and lots more to come. Thanks for this, and enjoy the night. All right, Patty, take care. Thank you, sir. Bye bye. Uh, Mayor Darren Bent out in the the town of Conception Bay South. You mentioned the rugby pitch for rugby enthusiasts. Good day on tap tomorrow at the Swatters Rugby Club right here on Crosby Road with their refurbished pitch. At 11 a.m., the, Sw- the Swatters Senior Women versus the Bayman Senior Women. At 3 p.m., the Swatters Senior Men versus the Bayman Senior Men in a Goodyear Cup game. The bar is open from 2 to 7. All right, let's take our final break of the morning and the week. When we come back, still time for you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Well, an emailer wanted me to get to this particular story to talk about the importance of the refurbished uh, National War Memorial, the Cenotaph in downtown St. John's. So in preparation for the 100th anniversary in 2024, they're going to put some money into it, and notably they're going to uh, include the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, quite likely to be a member of the Royal Newfoundland Regiment. Uh, next spring, there's going to be the repatriation in preparation for the hunger ceremony. So very soon, there's going to be fencing around it. People are going to be unable to go through the war memorial for a stretch of time. And of course, it's known as a national memorial because Newfoundland was self-governing dominion until Confederation, of course, in 1949. The official opening ceremony of the memorial was on the 1st of July, 1924, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000 people in attendance, including General Douglas Haig, who was the commander of the British Expeditionary 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 Force in the First World War. Okay, let's go to line number one. Bernice, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Patty. How are you? Um, okay. I just wanted to let you know something that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Uh, I was <laughs> I was stopped for a lighting on Park Avenue, you know, near by Dodge City, where you're waiting to get on the, uh, the team goes you were to go on tops of road, right? Uh-huh. Well, we were on the traffic there, so um, you know how sometimes you think you got your foot right on the brake, but you don't. I do know. Yeah, so I I I went up. I guess he had a Dodge Ram, and uh, so I guess the car just went up a little tiny bit. And I nudged his trailer hitch like a little. You know, I didn't even make my body move or anything like that. So he jumps out the car and he said, "Oh, you rear-ended me. Give me your insurance." So I get out and I said, "I'm not giving you my insurance." Oh, sure, there's nothing done. I just need your uh, trailer. He said, "You don't know that. You don't know that." And I said, yeah, I do. I said, uh, I just nudged your trailer hitch. He said, it's either show your insurance or give cash. So I ended up having to give him $50 to shut him up. little shakedown right there on the street. 
I swear to God. So he pulled in on Dad City parking lot because, uh, well, he took a, a picture of my license plate, but now his truck and the back bumper it was all rust spots. And, like, I didn't want to give my insurance or anything because I didn't know, like, he'd probably say that that's what had happened. But I got a little... Uh, um, Hyundai uh, accent and when I looked at mine there's a little tiny like I never hit the, the trailer hitch right in the center you know the square thing that's on to put the trailer hitch on mm-hmm. and it, it just hit the little corner part and he, he was going right off his head so I had to give him $50 to shut him up I said what's the $50 for he said just in case <laughs> Just in case what? <laughs> in case what? But petty. Like, it got to be, like, uh, uh, it got to be uh, some kind of um, something with the insurance. They can't be doing that, though. Like, I wasn't even driving. My car didn't even move, only that little tiny bit. Just enough to nudge his trailer hitch. Yeah. The court, and I ended up having to give him $50. Sounds like that'd be a fella that had it gone through insurance, he would have gone and got himself a neck brace. Right. Yes, exactly. Now, he seemed like he was only in his 30s or something, but I had to get $50 and, and drop off to him. I said, I'm a senior. I don't have any money. I said, did you really need $50? I said, there's no damage to your truck. I said, I just touched your little old trailer hitch. I said, I don't think I can break your trailer hitch. Yeah. Well, I mean, it happened to me when I was young. I just bumped someone as hard as this. My little knock on my uh, table here, my desk, on Elizabeth Avenue. And, well, didn't Buddy cry the blues that he whiplash and all the rest of it and threw the jigs and the reels when someone working for my father caught him up doing some roofing on his own home. We quickly discovered that maybe you're not hurt at all, buddy. So people are out there. They'll do it. It happens all the time. My car didn't even know. Now, what could my little Hyundai do to his big old Dodge, uh, Dodge Ram and, and his truck? That's what, what I know. I just had a little tiny chip. Like, I didn't even move. I said, my body didn't even move. I said, I ju- my foot must have went off with a break, and I didn't know. And it, it just nudged up a little tiny bit to hit him. And then, so one car was passing by, and she put down her window, and uh, she said, "Everything all right?" He said, "Oh yeah, she just she just rear-ended me, getting on with his, with his high pollutant." Well, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully he puts that fifty bucks to good use. But a bit of a nuisance yeah. by the sound of it. He wanted a hundred first. <laughs> He negotiated him down to 50. Yeah, I negotiated him down to 50 because I didn't want, I don't know what they do when, when with the insurance and stuff. He could say something else. So then uh, when I gave him the $50, I told him to take my license plate out of his phone, and he, he did. He deleted the picture? He, yeah, he told me he deleted He t- He showed me he deleted the picture. So he just wanted 50 bucks. He, well... Too bad that uh, you had to nudge the trailer hitch of a nuisance such as he. I uh, appreciate the time, Bernice. Hope the bump around the accent's all right. I wouldn't mind if I had to do damage. How can I do damage to one of those things? And that's out a little tiny bit, so I didn't go near his bumper. I wasn't going. I wasn't even going. It just, the car edged up a little bit. I understand. Well, listen, you take good care of yourself, and uh, hopefully the foot's squarely on the brake so you don't have to dole out another 50. 
I know it was ridiculous. I was thinking about it for two weeks. I said, I got to call somebody yes. about that. I said, that's ridiculous what he did. Like, it was no damage. I understand. I'm sorry that it happened to you, but I appreciate the time. Have yourself a nice weekend. Yeah, thanks, Daddy. No problem. All the best. Bye. All right, bye-bye. The Hyundai, like Sunday. All right, uh, so throwing around the congratulations and the good lucks. So also want to offer good luck to our participants in the 10th annual North American Indigenous Games. They are on their way. I believe it starts today, if I'm not mistaken. So we've got a contingent heading up to the game. So good luck to them. Maybe we'll do some follow-up on Monday, see how we make out inside the competitions. All right, final check-in of the morning and the week. I try to take a little bit of a social media break on the weekend when possible. We're on the Twitter box for VOCM Open Line. You know what to do. You can follow us there. Uh, Let's see here. Oh, Mike says the trailer hitch should not be on the vehicle if it's not in use. Scam. It is a bit of a scam, but of course, when you use the ball, because some of us have different size balls for different types of trailers that we may indeed tow. Like, it's one thing to have a ball that accommodates your travel trailer, another one for your utility trailer, another one for your boat trailer. So when you haul the ball out, there's still the still permanent square hitch that remains so by the sound of it that's what you hit because you mentioned the square and hit the corner as opposed to nudged into the ball that you know people do indeed generally take it out for a number of reasons number one being it's so easy to steal them if you leave them in when you don't have a trailer on. So I understand your point, Mike, and no matter how you slice it, sounds like a bit of a scam. Email, it's openline at vocm.com. And we will indeed pick up this conversation again on Monday morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy weekend. We'll talk Monday. Bye-bye.